This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! And welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. And we talk SVU, crimes, celeb guests. We, oh, what is it? What is Stefan from? This, this podcast has everything. Has everything. SVU, <laughs> crimes, celebrity guests, Lisa <laughs> saying Barbara. <laughs> we could do a full Stefan about this podcast. I would love to do that maybe for the Instagram with our new our new <laughs> yeah. content, our new videos. It's honestly, I need help. I need to get off Instagram. I really do. <laughs> it's uh, taken over my life in ways that I'm pretty ashamed of. But follow us. We have a good time. We have a great yeah. time. Follow us. Guys, follow us. I'm just going to up top, get it out of the way. Yes. Follow us. Come see us. It's Today is the wide, this episode's wide releasing on February 21st. We are in Portland, Oregon tonight, babies. Come see us at Helium. It is not too late if you're listening to get a ticket for tonight's show. Uh, and we are going to be in Tacoma at Tacoma Comedy Club tomorrow, uh, February 22nd. And just announced, we're coming back to Moon Tower, baby. We're going to be in Austin, Texas at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. Um, I don't think our dates are up yet, but we will be there. We'll, I mean, Lisa and I will be there from like April... Uh, what is it, like 20th to 23rd or something like that? We'll be there that 
second week of it, but uh, it's 19th to the 23rd we'll be there. But uh, keep an eye out because we'll be posting on our Instagram when our actual show is. But we are booked on the fest and we are excited to be back. It is such a fun festival. If you live anywhere near Austin, Texas, or you can get to Austin, Texas for that comedy festival, it's really great. Really well run. Yeah, we had a great time. Lots of fun-ass shows. We had a big old blast. Yeah. So I love this movie I just saw. It was random. I watched it on Hulu and it's called I'm Totally Fine. And it's Jillian Bell and Natalie Morales. And basically, like, Jillian Bell's best friend dies, but she goes to this house rental that they had that they were going to spend the weekend at. And her best friend comes back, but it's actually an alien. And they take over, like, bodies to do experiments for 48 hours, but they have all the memories of your like of the deceased. And so she has, like, one last weekend with her friend, but it's not really her friend. It's an alien in her body with her memories. Wow, and I the loved it. title of that movie does not give away anything. <laughs> that is totally not what I... I was like, this is going to be some like rom-com or like a down-on-your-luck story about two friends or something. Like, this is not what I thought. Wow. Okay, and you loved it. No, but it was great. I really, really, really enjoyed it. And there's like great cameos from people, from comedy people as well. Um, but I really loved it. And I just saw on a Delta flight, the menu is going to be on, is on. Someone I next love to me was watching it. I know. So I can't wait to watch it. I'm going to watch it. I'm in Kansas city right now. So I'm going to watch it. It is an early flight to LA, but hopefully I can stay <laughs> up and, um, really watch it. And I'm in Kansas city for the, like, I'm here through the weekend, but then Sunday is the fucking Super Bowl. And yeah. The team is in it. So. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. That's gonna be nuts. But I gave my first one star review to an Uber driver, and I got a full refund and an extra five dollars. At first, I got the five dollar. I'm sorry, and I was like, "That is not enough." I was screamed at, and then the next email was like, "We got this one." And by the way, she was screamed at because she asked the driver to stop texting and erratically driving all over the goddamn street. Highway. Which you should be allowed to do. Highway. At a red light, text a little, fine. I'm, I'm not, not, but like, yeah. we were on a highway as he's checking emails and texting on his phone and holding his phone, having loud conversations. And I think he's going through some life stuff, but it's like, I, I don't, I'm sorry. He dude. knew the second he opened his mouth to scream at you that he was getting a one star and that he was not, and he was going to get in trouble. But he didn't care. He goes, you can downgrade me. I don't care. And I said, you've made it very clear that you don't care. Jesus. He goes, well, I have stuff to do. This doesn't concern you. It's none of your business what I do. I've been doing this for four years. It actually really is. My life is in your hands. Actually, it's super my business. Like, yeah. And it's also just like, okay, I I don't know. He goes, I have a 4.8. And I'm like, yeah, and you're in Kansas, bitch. Like, I've traveled. (laughs) I've Ubered all over this country. How about that? And you're nuts. (laughs) And you're out of control. Maybe you're a Kansas 4.8, but you're a Los Angeles 2.7. Um, well, no, I just never down. Like, even if someone is nuts, I usually still give five. Like, yeah. I'm not, I don't like to fuck with people's money. But no, this I guy, don't really. But I was told by a Lyft driver, he goes, you have a pretty low customer rating. You got to get that back up. And I go, what are you talking about? I literally don't do anything. I'm trying to like, get I, a tip out of you. Was he trying to get a tip out of you? Uh, a bigger oh, tip? maybe. He didn't say anything about that oh. exactly, but maybe, yeah. And I go, how do I even find out what it is? Like, I, 
I truly am not like, I will say one time I threw up outside of an Uber, but I didn't call it. It was my friend's account. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like, I, I've, um, a guy said that to me once. He goes, you seem cool. So like, why is your rating so low? And I go, I don't know. He's like, are you not tipping? Like, maybe you're not tipping enough. Oh, and he was maybe like, that's it. Did I get scammed? I don't know. But I, once he said that, I was like, okay, dude. Like, I, and the thing is, I'm not extra great. Like, I get that. Now I'm trying to see my rating. Let's see if it's easy to find. No, it takes like a long time to find it in Uber. It's like buried. Why do they bury it? I don't know. I remember it's like buried it deep inside like the help settings or something like that. <laughs> Wait, Lisa, I also need to talk to you about, uh, people have been like messaging and stuff being like, I hope you guys are going to talk about the latest episode of SVU. So, you're not caught up, but I did catch up. The last two episodes of SVU were a little dramatic. Can I tell you some things that happen? Of course. Okay. Oh no, so, that's gonna stop me from wanting to watch an episode of SVU. No, I know knowing about it. But the current, like, like whatever, there was this full BX9 gang, um, you know, arc that happened, and uh, at the end of it, like, you know, Liv's life was threatened. Noah was there. It was like very scary or whatever. And then at the end, like, Stabler goes to help her and they have this moment in the kitchen where, like, they're maneuvering faces where it looks like he's trying to kiss her and she goes, I can't, I, um, I'm not ready for this. I can't. And she doesn't do it. And, uh, like, the fandom was obviously freaking out. I said, I, I said, guys, it's not gonna happen. I think they're completely toying with everybody. Um, and then in the next episode... There was just the most aggressive open of all time where you like see, it's just like, no spoilers if you haven't seen it. Like fast forward the next like, you know, whatever. But this man is in this episode is not only has he purchased an ambulance, but he has figured out a way to fuck with red lights and green lights, like traffic lights, to make people get into accidents. So as soon as he sees an accident on like an abandoned kind of street, he pulls up in his ambulance, takes the woman out of the car and sexually assaults her in the ambulance. And it's like, it's a really far walk. And then when you get to the end of the episode, can I spoil it? Yeah. It's just, it's just some fucking guy who's like pissed that his wife like doesn't love him anymore. Like there's really no bigger, like I was like, this is a sociopath. Like this, and it's like this guy who's like, she won't talk to me. My wife is like crying about his wife. I'm like, so you built a machine to cause people to maybe die in a car accident? And then you pulled people out of cars when they could have spinal injuries and sexually assault? Like it's, and there's also a very graphic scene in the cold open, which I like can't, they're getting closer and closer to just like showing a full-on sexual assault openly on the show. But I'm like, meanwhile, the show's gotten more aggressive showing the violence and less aggressive with any of the comedy. I'm like, let's get the scales back together. What's I'd love in your to hand? What little keychain are you holding? Rosie made me a quote-unquote bracelet, but it's this big, so I've been wearing it twisted as two bracelets. Um, uh, but thank That's... you for not buying her the Paw Patrol sunglasses that you showed me because she would absolutely ask me for those. I know. I also, they had the Little Mermaid ones as well, and I sent one to our friend Lauren being like, are you into this genre or no? Because I feel like we are going to a birthday party. And uh, that seems like fun. It's like protecting from the sun and you get to be a fun character, but I can yeah. see our classy friend being disgusted. <laughs> so I checked in um, to see how she feels about that. I don't know. We'll see. 
We'll see. But the Minnesota airport's got it going on. I could shop in there for hours. Like, they have really Damn. good stores. Casey's thumbs up being like... It really is such a great airport. There's so much. Wow. And you know what else? Like, I do love arriving in a smaller place. Like, Kansas, there was no stairs. Like, out right out of my gate was the exit to go to baggage claim. Like, it real Vermont, Burlington, Vermont's a funny airport. There's three gates. There's, like, one restaurant and a rocking chair. And yeah. there is something <laughs> nice about that. Because some of the, you know, these long-ass terminals, these walks, they're long, yeah. baby. Yeah, I hear you. That's like Burbank. I've only been to Burbank once. I know, me too. But I walked right the fuck out of there from my gate into out into the Uber line, and I was I loved it. And that was the guy who told me, your rating is low. Wow, come full circle. Literally, the Burbank airport, that was the guy. He goes, your rating is low. And I was like, what? what? Like, I couldn't figure it out. Because sometimes I'm, I'm like, maybe I talk on speakerphone once in a while or like play some videos, but usually I'm just like high and looking out the window or yeah. I'm engaging in their lives if they really need it. I don't talk. That's the thing. I was like, am I getting downgraded for just being quiet? I just, I mean, if they talk to me, I'll talk. But, you know, I've had, I've had Uber drivers that have said to me that are American born that say, wait, what do you mean by red and blue when talking about politics? And I was like, okay, I, I, I don't think we can talk about Trump anymore. Um, but like, I don't really talk. So I don't know what the problem is. Maybe I just look like a bitch. Um, wait, what were we, what were we going to talk about? So my sister told me, I did not fact check this, but my sister told me that in South Dakota, they have just appointed a judge who has no law experience, did not go to law school, was never a lawyer, like nothing. Um, and I guess in South Dakota, you don't need to have legal experience to be a judge. So she was telling me about that because she's been trying to get out of the country for a while. And then my mom had a little, you know, an emergency surgery recently. So I was home and my sister's rethinking all of it. She's like, I don't know. Are there, like, are we going to get the care that they need? And like, if we move to Panama, like, I don't know. But she is basically, because I was really little, but to her, the vibes of our country right now are Soviet Union to her. Like, yeah. we escaped in 1990. And then I think the collapse was 91, 92. And like, if you didn't get out before the collapse... You were struck because I used to waitress with a woman from Latvia, which was part of the former Soviet Union, and like, or Lithuania, one of those. But she just said, she goes, I remember the day it all crumbled. There was nothing. There was no laws, no one in charge. Like, there was no government. Like the purge, full purge. The purge um, <laughs> and chaos. And like, she hated working with us. We're all like early 20s, such annoying brats at this restaurant. And then she just like had a daughter and was struggling to make it in America. But um, so my sister's paranoia, I forgot, comes from experience. Like she did see a yeah. country kind of crumble. And I don't know. So I mean, she, I will say I can't find anything about this on Google. But if you are a <laughs> South Dakota person, we we are not a news podcast. But if you are a South Dakota, my sister, I know a lot of you messaged us when I know a lot of you messaged us because we talked about South Dakota being maybe boring. It's North Dakota, but North Dakota. Oh, maybe a different Dakota. Um, <laughs> I just wrote in. North Dakota judge, no law degree. And it says, can you be a judge without a law degree? In New York, Texas, Nevada, and five other states, a law degree is not mandatory for becoming a judge. Wow, New York, though. You don't have to? Yeah. 
How to Become a Judge, judge Step-by-Step Guide. Amazing. Can you imagine? I'm going to look I into mean, it. I mean, if my sister's being tricked on Facebook, I'm going to feel really sad for all like, of Like, was there a minion on the posts? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but if she fall, fell for something, I'm going to be so... Well, it, it doesn't matter. Your point stands. I mean, like, whether or not this happened or not, your sister's points are taken. Like, we are sliding into fascism, so it's not like... Yeah, we are. I mean, the education system, like the trans legislation, it's all just pretty wild. Well, we have to end this intro. Yes, on a we better do have note to get before going. we go right into this. We have a we have a very special episode for you guys today. Stay I know, tuned. but this has kind of an aggressive assault scene as well. I think this one's oh a, yes, a very yes. aggressive one. I don't. I haven't seen the new one yet, but. Yes, that's um. Well, you went to a kids' party last weekend. Any any gossip in the kids' playground? Any ringworm going around? What's happening? No, no, not much gossip. Just um, no carousels. It was fun. I, you know what? They had a different kind of pinata, which I liked. I thought, like these pinatas we get, it's like a bunch of four year olds sitting around with a stick trying to bash a pinata open. It takes forever. There's this new kind. Maybe it's not even new. Where there are strings on the bottom, and every kid gets to pull a string, pull a string, and then one final string kind of pops the whole thing open. That's genius. You, yeah. So it's like you still get a turn and then you still get the rush of like, candy! And like everybody goes nuts. But Yasser Lester's mother was there. I'm obsessed with her. And I texted him and he goes, I've been meaning to text you. I was waiting for it to get late enough in the morning for you to be awake. And I'm like, bitch, I'm always awake. And he, he was like, my mom's obsessed with you. And I was like, I'm obsessed with your mom. What did you guys talk about? What was the connection? Just like she busted this girl breaking Rosie's balloon and she just handed it to me quietly. She goes, this girl over here broke Rosie's balloon. And I go, all right, I'll get it. Like I, I had to get her another one so Rosie wouldn't freak out. Like she was just cool. She was there helping set up, like putting balloons out. She's great. This is a comedian, Yasser Lester, very funny writer, comedian. Um, hated guest on the podcast, Bitch <laughs> yeah. Sesh. And he, um, but he's very hilarious. And he, his mother was at this party and she was a gem of a person. Um, well, but, their big yeah. thing was for their wedding, they got a billboard with both of their mother's faces on it next to the wedding site, which is yes, pretty which fun. which stayed up for like a while, I think. I think it stayed up for like a couple weeks. Um, well, I have to share, I did go back to Jumbo's, um, my full bikini <laughs> strip club. Um, I set up a whole surprise party for a friend. It was a success. Um, we had seafood and then we went to the strip club. But this was so funny. So there was one dancer and she had um, uh, no sex appeal, okay? It seemed like she was a rhythmic gymnast who I aged out and is now like, uh-oh, what am I going to do? Like very flexible, very contortion-y, but like the makeup and hair and glitter of a gymnast. Okay. And at one point though, she did a break dancing move where she's on her back and she's like just spinning really hard, like wild on the stage. And our friend Jared Goldstein goes, okay, Ninja Turtles. And it <laughs> was so funny. I like honestly... <laughs> I keep thinking oh about it God. and I was dying. And then at one point we had one favorite um, dancer and when she came out, we were obsessed and Jared, same uh, person, he goes, we love your balayage. And it <laughs> broke her. She started laughing. Like she, she, she cracked as well. Like he was just really crushing it. And we were just a group of like, Queer, gays, um, yeah, just fun people, yeah, and the dancers loved us. Like we were cheering. Of course, and 
I yeah. bet you that's a great way to get a, a dancer's attention in any strip club or, or exotic yeah. dancing location is like, say something funny. Instead of like, oh, I want to eat your tits or whatever. Like, say something <laughs> funny. I think I want to <laughs> eat your tits is merch. <laughs> That is merch. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, we have to email start. us if you want eat my, eat your tit eat. merch. No, I guess I what, meant to say lick or kiss, but not eat. It's gross. <laughs> but we were also with like a dancer, Dwayne dances. So like we were just we. It was like we were at a drag show in a way, like the cheering yeah. and the throwing. Like it was just like. Um, we love their tricks and fun. And yeah, the men are just... Okay, next time I want to go bad. with you because I've been there before and I haven't been there since I was pregnant throwing dollar bills onto the dancers. So we I will really definitely go. go. It was a last minute thing, you know, and I was really proud of myself that I pulled a surprise party together too. in like four or five days. I picked up a cake um, and the whole restaurant sang. It felt good, you know, it felt I good. am too, I am too. Um, uh, we'll okay, start. Let's, yeah, let's get started. We've got an action-packed episode for you today. Okay, we're here. We're queer. Get used to it. <laughs> so um, today we're doing "Turn Me On, Take Me Private" because Warren Light is a sicko. Like that, that that name means nothing. It means nothing. Well, I know what it means. It means like get yeah. me hard, and then let's do a private chat. But it's like, yeah. there's no need. This episode could have just been called "Camming," yeah, violent <laughs> attack. Window. I mean, I just... <laughs> Window. <laughs> there could have been a lot. At season 22, episode 5, we got a January air date for this. And we open up on a cool girl in a curly fro wig and hoops. And she's in a red robe in her pink bedroom in a message board cam situation. We see a bunch of people writing to her. And she says, no strip without a tip, daddy. And she's a professional moneymaker in her bedroom. And there's a pink lava lamp trying to pull focus, but it can't. She's having fun. <laughs> and once the tips start coming in, um, which are indicated by little noises from the computer, she lifts the robe and does a butt shake and panties to the computer and laughs. The camera pulls out and we see the apartment is cool. Fun blue lights. It's like a very nice place. Um, she announces for her camiversary, she's going to do a fun wheel thing where um, all the top requests uh, are on this wheel of fortune wheel and she'll spin it and the tips, it'll the spins start at 200. And people start spending with tokens and oh my God, someone gave $600. So he wins. And his screen name is 10 Inch Nail. Great. So that gets the first spin. So she spins. No one, it's just so funny. <laughs> she spins and it, tonight's show will be role play. She's like, cool, cool. And then the, re the requests come in for what kind of role play she's going to do. And so it's going to be helpless victim begging for mercy. And she's like, wow, your favorite 10 inch nail. So hot. Okay, see you tonight. So we cut to someone watching her on their cell phone next to a bush outside. And she says, your wish is my command. See you at 10, baby. So it's her recording the promo um, and she's in a bush and I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? But it's just a bush. So she does a little, you know, nothing, nothing dissimilar to what we do, you know, just a quick see you in whatever city type vibe. So she's in winter wear, scarf, fleece. Um, she puts on a mask as she walks to see her papa and he's in a wheelchair and seems not to know who she is. And she has to remind him and it is, you know, it's sad um, and hits us with the reality of life. 
Her name is Zoe, and it is her do- his daughter. Uh, she starts to sing to him. She's really sweet. And the worker, before leaving them, lets her know that the front office wants to see her about her father's bill. So we're humanizing uh-uh. her and why she needs cash money. Yeah. But also, it is such a safe thing to do that, like, there shouldn't be... Stigma, stigma or risk about to it. it. Yeah. You know, Benson later disagrees with me, but it should, it's like, you should, oh God. I just wish everyone felt safe in their own home. And it's really mm. upsetting that this happens to people. Um, well, I was watching the Bling Ring documentary series and even like, you know, like, a lot of the detectives and not Whitney Port, who's the brunette, Audrina Patridge. And it was like, oh, well, they're rich. They're rich. It doesn't matter. They don't care. And it's like them then talking of like, I didn't feel safe in my home. And all of the residual feelings still come through, whether they can afford to replace these items or not. Yeah. But yeah. for Audrina, she goes, it was my first time shopping with a stylist and everything was in the hallway. And I was like, yeah, I would be devastated. Whatever. N- neither here nor there. She has horrible taste in men, Audrina. So anyways, we're back to our girl, Zoe. She says um, she's still waiting on Medicaid. He responds, uh, longest six months ever, huh? And turns to walk away. He says, nice jeans, by the way. You look good. She says, thanks. Um, Now she's in another location. This girl is busy, a New York lifestyle. So she walks into the kitchen. She's in a mask. The man working's in a mask. Everyone's in a mask. Um, And she's ready to help. It looks like it's like a volunteer center. Um, And so the man says, LaSalle Street, please. So she grabs a bunch of lunches and goes off. And um, I'm sure she's helping people. And we're back to camming, though, at night after her full day. And she's teasing, like, there's just a few hours away. We see her picking outfits while listening to music. And then it quickly cuts to her in a blonde wig handcuffed to a bed. And she's pretending to beg someone not to hurt her. And she'll do anything he wants. And um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, begging, breathing heavily. You know, we talk about how murderers are great actors. You know who else are? Cam girls. Cam girls, baby. They yeah. were, she really is putting on a show. Um, and then, oh no, someone comes in through the window and the comments are like, oh no, someone's coming in. And she's like, wow, you guys really love this. I'm an incredible actress. Because <laughs> um, she doesn't realize it yet, but someone did climb through the window. Fuck. He starts attacking her. Someone watching starts to videotape it on his phone. All these tokens start rushing in. The audience is into it. Her wig falls off, though. She's clearly in distress. The computer gets shut closed, and she screams, get off me, as it cuts to the credits. And it is a really graphic scene, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So we open up on Act 1 and um, we're back from the credits and someone in denim is showing their phone uh, of the recording of the attack to Finn and Kat at the precinct. The man explains that Kendra, a.k.a. Zoe, never does scenes with other people. It's always solo. So he knew something was up and it just seemed too real. The man explains that him and Kendra um, are real close. So he taped it for evidence just in case since it seems so fucked up. Kat's like, oh, you're really close. Do you have her name or address? And he's like, no, 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 it's not like, not like that. And she's <laughs> a cam girl. He, you know, I, but he knows that she's in New York because one night she applauded for the medical workers. Because this episode is like right in the center of COVID, which is relevant to it, I feel like. Oh, yeah. So they'll put yeah. take Max on and off. There's clear yeah. walls. It's uh, They really handled it silly, but they did the best they could. <laughs> But Finn is suspicious of him, which is fair, but Finn is a fan of sex workers, so it's confusing. He says he's not a creep and something bad happened to her, and he tried to reach her to make sure she was okay, and um, she took her whole room down. 
Soft dramatic music plays. Something is wrong, he says. Carisi and Benson are spying, and Carisi's like, so what was this, role player and assault? And Benson's like, well, this guy says he's her number one fan, and she always works alone. And Carisi's like, sure, but she didn't report it. And Kat says she checked all five SVUs, and they didn't have um, any reports. But maybe she could be reluctant to come forward. And Finn is judgy, and I don't like the storyline for him. But he was just like, yep, she reenacted a rape fantasy for 600 to." Tokens, and it's like, you love strippers. Yeah. Carisi is so confused. Um, like, what's a token? I'm a good boy. You know, <laughs> cannolis only for me. And Benson explains that that's how people tip. Um, and the site is run by Sugar Fap. Um, I love sugar fap, which means if you're, if you don't, you know, if you're, oh, I do have to say this from our live show. Um, this was like weeks ago now, if not months, but, um, I had a friend come to the show who had never watched SVU, just listened to the podcast. And, you know, we have slides of photos from the show and she went, I did not think that's what Munch looked like. And she just had no idea what so Munch funny. looked like. Um, and she goes, the ears really shocked me. And I was like, <laughs> well, we knew, baby. Um, so anyways, we know we're about to see John Waters. I love him. Honestly, look what's right next to me. Look what's right next to me. This wow. isn't planned. This isn't planned. I'm, I'm just a hoarder. Um, John, so it's, your, it's his book, right? One of. I have another one of his books. I have multiple of his books. Um, he's great. I haven't watched um a lot of his cult classics with like Divine yet. Um, yeah, I'm more of a crybaby. Um, the Demented Demille, Ces- Cecil B. De- and he's in The Simpsons. So yeah, I'm a huge crybaby serial mom fan. A lot of fun John Waters, but my husband really wants to watch some of the old Divine stuff together. So I think we're gonna do that soon. Me too. Oh, and Hairspray. Um, duh. I can't believe we forgot well, hairspray. hairspray. Yeah, but the also classic. he had a one man show. Like he does. He has like a stand up show that I love. I forgot where I watched it, but. Um, I bought this book of him at Cake Bar. Anyways, I'm just saying we love. He's John a legend. Waters. If you're like a, a young, maybe maybe some of the young ones don't know him, but you gotta you have to know John Waters. I have a um, magnet of him on my fridge that says, "I take a lot of comfort in the fact that my work has no socially redeeming value." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, he also wait. He has the famous quote that I think has been perverted. It's not he. It, it like cuts off, but he's the one that says, "Don't fuck people if they don't have books in their house." Oh, it's him. that's why I have a couple books in the house, just in case someone really. <laughs> you have his book, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna see him. So maybe you know this. The people at the site can help us track him down. And Kat's technically like, "Well, these girls are independent car- contractors." And Carisi's like, "Oh, like Uber? Like he is truly so stupid." Yes, yeah, Carisi's porn. Carisi's porn is like Pinterest, or like it's like looking up Italian like chicken parm recipes. <laughs> <laughs> He's not on sugar fab. So, um, so she gets paid from the site. So maybe we can get her info. Benson knows John Waters. He has been in this before. That's why we know Sugar Fap is connected to him. Yeah. Um, and she said, well, the owner is very into anonymity. It's very important to the girls as well. And he also said he'll only talk to the guy who went to lawyer school. So that's Carisi, which is <laughs> LOL. So Carisi goes to talk to the owner of Sugar Fap. Zap. 
John Waters. Um, and he's very happy to see him and thinks he's sexy and excited that Benson's a captain now. And he's like, woo, you traveled for all the way to Queens for me. Wow, wow, wow. He's funny. <laughs> and he says he would have put out a spread. Uh, Benson and Creasy sit and she's like, wow, dude, you're such an entrepreneur. I mean, you went from porn to streaming to camming now. And uh, John Waters says, well, those who can't adapt are doomed. And we've seen that. That's the blockbuster effect. And yeah. he's like, yeah, it's safe. Um, you know, there's consent. It's in their rooms. It's social distanced. They show him the video and his answer is, well, yeah, after COVID, these campsites became flooded with professional porn actors and they pushed the envelope. And so now the competition is so fierce. People got to do what they got to do for tips. And he's like, nobody is forced to do anything. But Creasy's like, with his law degree is like, well, yeah, but great question. How can you be sure? And he says, you know, model control rooms, but if a customer acts out of line, that IP address is forever locked out of the site. So they are pretty strict. They bring up the window breaking and he's like, a fantasy, I'm sure. Like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, it doesn't matter what you think. We need to speak to Kendra. And he's like, no, these girls trust me to keep their info private. But Carisi has a subpoena for her real name, contact info, and for all the regular viewers in the tri-state area. John Waters clutches his pearls like, oh my God, you think one of our subscribers would do this? And they're like... (laughs) Yeah, duh. <laughs> How else would someone know her schedule? <laughs> um, and that she would be like, cough, whatever. So he says, oh dear, if that's true, this is a dark day here at Sugar Fap. <laughs> and like a dark day at Sugar Fap is a dark day. Because <laughs> it's Sugar Fap. Um, I'm sure there's lots of crazy shit going on there. But also, my question is, I I just want to point out, this is another time where the cops are going, like, above and beyond. They're literally seeking out a victim in a crime they don't even know occurred. It's just very SVU. Like, in real life, this isn't happening. Benson and Kat are um, in the kitchen talking to a man from earlier, and he's like, oh my God, that's Zoe Carrera. He calls her over, and she's not happy to see the cops, and is like, what is this about? And they ask if she ever goes by the name Kendra, and she's panicked and whispers like, oh my God, how did you find me? And she's like, camming is legal, and they're like, yeah, no, of course, someone thinks that you were assaulted last night, and shows the screenshot. And she's like, fuck, someone recorded that? They're not supposed to. And then they try to communicate it to her, like, we are here to help you. And if you didn't want that to happen before they can even finish. She says, I didn't want that. I was raped. She had a fair fear that if she went to the police as a cam girl, that they would laugh at her. And the girls are like, we're not laughing, Zoe. So we cut to the precinct. She's explaining that this past year, she's been living a double life. Pre-pandemic, she worked retail, but her father's in a facility and school tuition. And Benson's like, girl, we're pro-sex work here. Like, you don't have to explain anything to us. Just tell us what happened last night. She was acting out of fantasy, pretending a stranger broke in. But then she saw the comments, someone was coming into the window, but it wasn't part of the act. And before she could react, he was choking her and she screamed no and tried to get away. And then he tried to rape her, but he couldn't. So he used his fingers. Oh. She heard his voice, you know, you know you want it, but low. Um, And he was disguising it, she felt like. She assures that none of her customers know where she lives. And even with her wish list, she's super safe and does not reveal the location. And Benson's like, I'm sure you're safe, but he called you Kendra. So that means, like, 
He knows you from here. He didn't call you Zoe. And she's having a hard time believing it. She's like, my fans are my friends. And she describes them as nice. She wouldn't go private with anybody. She doesn't trust, she says. And Tamina's like, are you closer with your private clients? Which seems like a dumb question. Um, she is like, yeah, they can get very intimate. So, you know, let's go down the list. And we go down her clients. Uh, first guy's nice. He's married. They're trying to have a baby. One is a trader. He's been stressed at work. Got caught masturbating on a Zoom session. This is, <laughs> this is so current. <laughs> this is all so current. It's current and it's also very Erin Brockovich in the law, law room where she, um, she knows everything about her clients. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, Bowen Yang does an incredible lip sync to this if you're um, <laughs> on Instagram um, where he fucking mouths the words to the whole speech. It's incredible. She says they've all been messaging me asking if I'm okay. And Benson's like, hmm, well, if you felt fine and safe, why did you shut the room down? So then we cut to her in a blonde wig with dark roots half up, half down, and full lashes, and she is FaceTime with her clients. And they were all worried about her, and they all want to make sure she's okay after last night, and she assured them that she's fine. A bearded man is like, I didn't know if you want to talk to me, and she's like, why would I be mad at you, little shy Gabe? And he says, well, after last night, holy shit, oh my God. And the camera pans up a little, and behind the glowing lava lamp is Benson coaching her. Like, keep going, keep going, get more out of this guy. And he's like, you were crying, but that was part of the show, right? Like, you liked it. You liked I gave you what you asked for. He's so creepy, um, but he thinks he's a good guy. And she's like, yeah, so that was you. And he then says, I thought you could tell. And she's like, just making sure your voice sounded different. And the mask, he's like, yeah, it was me for the show. It was hot, right? And she's like, yeah, um, Gabe, it was hot. And she's like, so then she asks him, like, do you want me to put on a nightgown like I was wearing last night? And he's like, hell yes, of course. And then asks for him to speak and says uh, the things he said last night. And then the Sugar Fap logo is lavender script on top of the screen. And maybe that's the tattoo I get. <laughs> lavender. No, A little Sugar Fap action. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. So they keep talking. And then on her computer screen, we see the NYPD barge into his place and arrest his dumb ass. He keeps yelling she wanted it. And Tamine's like, get real. And then Finn's like, oh, Liv, you're going to want to see this. So they point the camera to a wall of photos, like a giant collage of her. And Benson says, we got him. Kendra's very hand over mouth vibes, shocked as we cut to black. We're back in act two. So we got this little bearded creep in interrogation with our friends Finn and Tamin. And he's like, well, no, Kendra posed for each of these photos and she wanted them and she wanted me to have them. And they're like, we hate you. And then Kat starts playing head games with him going, correct. Then why does she think you attacked her? And he screams, um, excuse me, role play. <laughs> it can get intense sometimes. And Kat's like, oh, so you've played role play in person before. And he's like, okay, no, but it was time and we're both ready and she wanted it. And he's reading into all these clues. And so Tamin confirms it was the first time. And Finn's like, oh, so that's why you couldn't get it up. And he's taken aback. Like, oh my God, did Kendra tell you that? And Tamin's like, well, she's answering our questions. So she gave you her address. And he's like, well, not in so many words. Finn goes, well, then how'd you know where she lived? He stalked her. <laughs> that's how he knew. Yeah. He was stalking her. And he's like, she said that. And Finn loses his patience and is like, she's saying you tried to rape her. He demands uh, to talk to her and it's like a miscommunication. And so they're like, okay, well, walk us through how you got here and we can clear it all up. He takes a moment and realizes what's happening and then reveals that he is a certified paralegal and he wants a lawyer. 
Benson is spying and goes, I don't care how deluded this guy is. Like, that's not a defense. Finn and Kat walk out of the room and Finn is, is almost like, I feel bad for this guy. And Kat's like, I don't. And Carisi's there though. And he's like, well, if he is telling the truth, they're all like, Carisi, what are you talking about? He's not telling the <laughs> truth. And everyone gets mad at him, especially Kat. And Kat is like, what are you saying? And he's like, well, there is some kind of relationship. And like, isn't that how Camming works? The guy, so the guy keeps coming back. And Finn's like, yeah, escort strippers. That's how it all works. And it makes men start believing it's true. And Creasy's like, exactly. She told everyone she wanted to be pinned down and assaulted. Like, you know, what are we supposed to do? She meant it literally, but may like, what if she did consent to it? It's just going to get very complicated with the jury. And Benson's like, well, they're so lucky to have someone like you to explain it to them. I am hating him. He's like, start slut shaming her. I, I'm really confused. Yeah, it's not great. This. It's like, I don't know if you know this, but your wife, Amanda, that's what she does for her job. She flirts and lies, so. <laughs> so true. Is she asking for it? And she gets a paycheck. And he's like, I'm just showing you how the defense is going to play this. And Benson's annoyed. We're all annoyed. I'm, at the, I'm screaming. And Carisi's like, prepare. We just need to prepare Zoe for it. So now we're at LaGuardia Home for Seniors. She's there um, talking about Gabe's. So he was uh, one of her first subscribers. He was super shy at first, but then um, with camming every night, Finn is like, well, he thinks you guys are in a relationship. And she's like, no, I mean, kind of, but it's not real. We talk all the time, but it's all virtual. And then Kat wants to confirm she never told him where she lived. She says, no, never. So how did he find you? Did you ever slip in a session? She's like, I really don't see how. Kat breaks it down like, what if he was stalking you? You know, he had pictures of you everywhere and even here. And she's like, what? With my dad? She again is like, I am extremely careful. Even if I can, I, for my cell, I make sure like I hide stuff. But then she remembers something and she exclaims, she said six months ago, she was in a private with Gabe and Gabe was super upset. And she mentioned that she might have to put her father in a memory care ward. He responded that his firm did a lot of elder care cases and Finn puts it together. He recommended this place and she spirals like, oh my God, oh my God, I did this, I did this. She cries and is like, I let a crazy man into my and my father's life. I did this. She runs off. She turns back around and says, he's guilty. Why do we even have to take this to trial? I can't testify in public. So now Benson and Creasy are walking and talking and he's like, why doesn't she want to testify? What's her deal? Well, she's in grad school for social work. She takes care of her father. She volunteers at a Catholic food bank. Like, she doesn't want the real people in her life to ever know about Gabe. Benson also adds, she's scared of Gabe. Creasy's like, well, there is a restraining order and we can put the squad car in front of um, her place. And then asks if her story is solid. And Benson goes, yes, for sure it is. This was an unwanted assault and any consent was in Gabe's mind. But he says if she doesn't take the stand, he can't take it to trial. Benson is like, fine, then play hardball and let's get a deal. We cut to a negotiation meeting. He's with a female attorney that I think will be important for like dynamics, you know? He truly doesn't... <laughs> he truly doesn't understand why this is happening. That's also a podcast on Wondery. Okay. Um... <laughs> Why would Zoe do this, he asks. Um, the girl boss lawyer is like, Gabe, please. And then whips to Carisi and tries to spin this as consensual and that there was no penetration. And Gabe is like, why does everyone keep saying that? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little nod to the old SVU that we love. You know, the humor, the jokes, the little back and forth. <laughs> They go back and forth. Basically, like, his lawyer's like, we're not doing a felony. We want a misdemeanor. And of course, the department's like, it's a felony, bitch. It's rape. 
They go back and forth until uh, Carisi suggests aggravated sexual abuse in the third, and he can be back um, to his cam sessions in a year. He aggressively says, I didn't abuse her. Why would they let him go to the cam sessions? That's weird. He should be banned from Sugar Fap for life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he would be at Sugar Fat, but there's plenty of other sites, I guess. Yeah. The lawyer turns to Gabe and is like, please, Gabe, it's a fair offer. Asks, um, like, take it, take it. Um, he doesn't want to take it. She's like, let me talk, let me talk to the client. Also, VPNs mask your IP. Like anyone can get back onto anything. There's really truly no punishment to anyone on these internet things. Oh, really? Yeah. VPNs just mask your IP. So you could probably get back on unless there's a way to not get on. I don't know. Write in if you're a member of SugarFap and you've been able to uh, get in with a VPN. So the lawyer, to get it's like, it's a fair offer, whatever. He's like, are you kidding me? They argue and now they're at arraignment. So the judge is saying, okay, aggravated sexual abuse in the third. How are we pleading? And the defense attorney, Curl's girl boss says, they'll be pleading guilty. But then Gabe is like, the only thing I'm guilty of is loving Zoe Carrera. And he says he's not guilty. And Carisi's like, wait, we had a deal in place. And Gabe's like, maybe you two did, but not me. And then fires the lawyer and says he'll represent himself. And the judge advises against it, but Gabe wants it and it is in his right. And then the judge allows it with the woman as a background lawyer. And we cut to Zoe and Benson and they look really worried. Creasy's like, whoa, I mean, this guy is a restraining order. Like, we, what are we doing here? He needs remand. He promises to stay away, but then looks at Zoe as she's clearly avoiding eye contact with him, hates him so much. And he says the last thing he wants to do is upset her. He is ROR'd, but if he betrays the restraining order, then it's remand. This is like exactly when people kill people. Like just to ROR a man that's like delusional and staring at her in the courtroom and the judge is like, okay, if you prom prom not to go bother her, like it's so infuriating. Yes. We've just read a lot of real cases where this has happened and they just like release people and then they kill while they're out. Yeah, or one of our, you know, I think our third episode ever, the episode Burned with Michael Michelle, like the real life story, yeah, the lawyer just would not would not listen. And he still hasn't apologized, that fucking judge. I meant judge, not lawyer. Yeah. That was our, um, when we were like paying attention to everything, that was our lowest listened to because I think the burning upset people. <laughs> <laughs> it was too much, but they didn't even know what was coming. He's a little shit and is uh, like perfect ruling judge, obsessed with this ruling. I paused <laughs> to take notes and it froze on the defense attorney who's like, oh, fuck, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> like you could tell she just has the most perfect face. And this lawyer's name is Edwina Meyerson, played by Marissa Brow Rays. And she's been in four episodes of SVU and episodes of Billions. She's out there menacing music plays. Um, then it cuts to Zoe and Benson and Tamine. And she's like, what the fuck? He could just be his own lawyer. This sucks. And they go, yeah, we're really sorry about this. Carisi approaches them and he's like, I gave um, them the best deal ever that I didn't even want to give. Like, what the fuck does this guy want? And Benson goes, take a guess. He wants her. Um, and he's like staring at Zoe as he walks away far in the distance. So now it's Carisi chugging coffee and Kat comes to yell at him and she's like, you're just going to let him do this kind of naggy. And he's like, good morning to you too, Kat. And she knocks on the wall retroactively and says, this sucks. Not only does she, uh, like, not only does he get to represent himself, he gets to go inside her apartment since it's the crime scene and the lawyer gets to look at it. And as of last January, the defendant and attorney get to go look at stuff. I guess it's some new legislation. What a bummer. And Jeez. so 
they're like, yeah, I guess it's like fair because they get to like prove their innocence. And so they get to like see all the stuff, but it sucks. So Zoe is completely freaked out. And Creasy's like, yeah, yeah, I understand that I'm not an idiot, but he says he doesn't understand why she insists on being there. And she's like, isn't there anything you can do? And he's like, I can't change state law within the next hour. No. I mean, I feel bad saying this, but she is so annoying and I understand why she did, was not wanted back. <laughs> like, this character is annoying as fuck. She's just young and, like, tenacious yes. and hasn't been at it long enough to know that the wheels of justice are slow. She wants everything to happen, like, the way we do as a TV-watching generation where we learned everything from fucking television crimes where everything's wrapped up in 42 minutes. No, I understand that, but it's, like, learn from the people, like, the anger at all of them. Like, they're not trying yeah. their best. Like, they haven't worked there for so many years. It's just, like, I would have rather seen Kat's growth into a great, mature detective, but she is so fucking annoying. At the beginning. But yeah, I do think we were going to see it if they kept her. I yeah. wish they kept her for a little Me longer. Me too, actually. but she is annoying. And yeah. she follows him. <laughs> and she won't leave him annoy alone. So then she goes, isn't it your job to protect the victim? And he's like, no, my job is to uphold the law. And she stares at him and finally is like, is there a reason you don't like me? And she responds, I just can't believe you were ever a cop. They stare and he says, well, I'm due at Zoe's. And she demands to go with. And he's like, great. My day just keeps getting better. Then this episode is so 2020. He says, don't forget to mask up. We're taking the subway. Um, okay, <laughs> so this twerp is in her room in the daylight taking videos of it, probably getting off on all of this. He's at the window like, you know, oh, that's how I came in. Um, he's like, you know, she left it open for me. And Zoe again is like, what the fuck? And Chrissy's like, I know, this is so fucked. I get it. Kat is like, leave. I'll stay here. And she's like, I can't. Um, he then is holding a glitter bra on a hanger going, Oh my God, you kept this. Remember when I bought it for you? And Creasy is like, that's beyond the scope. Control your client. Why is Zoe there? Like, why would she want to be there for all this? She didn't want him in her space alone. Okay. But I mean, with cops and stuff, but yeah. I, I just feel like that would be tra traumatizing, but yeah, go on. He right away says, like, oh, my God, my bad. I overstepped these games. It's like the people on the playground that it's like, I'm not touching your face. I'm not touching. Yeah, you, yeah, but yeah. Like, <laughs> you still deserve to get choked out, bitch. <laughs> so, um, so finally, he's like, bye, Zoe. See you in court. And he spins the wheel um, on the way out. And she screams, this is bullshit. He's getting off on this. He can't wait to fucking have me on the stand and cross-examine me and make me say whatever he wants. I can't do this. Kat is like Zoe. His defense was that it was consensual. If you don't testify, then he gets away with rape and the judge will be strict with him. Carisi guarantees it. Back at the precinct, Benson is walking and saying, ugh, I hate this new law to Finn and to me. And they begin to discuss what's what. How is she furious at Gabe and worried that the jury will judge her for being a cam girl? Finn responds, she's right. They will. Kat goes into a monologue. The whole point of camming is that women are in control. No physical content. She's kind of like the George Huang, honestly. She's like explaining to the audience why society sucks. No violence, no STDs. It's supposed to be empowering. And then Benson snaps, but it doesn't make it safe. 
Kat says, when you say it, it sounds like victim blaming. Kat, it's not victim blaming. It's like, and before she can finish the sentence, anything, there's a phone call. Finn takes over and says, listen, we have, you know, seen a ton from our years of experience and sex work is more dangerous than people want to believe. Benson then relays what Carisi told her over the phone. The jury has been selected and Gabe chose mostly older women. And Kat's like, who are going to judge her for being a cam girl? Um, so we're at the Supreme Court. Let's go. So we have the guy who taped the assault um, and went to the police. He's on the stand and he's explaining he could tell it was rape. And Creasy says, thank you and sits down. Gabe's in a red tie, which reminds me of Trump. Like, I don't even think it's appropriate to wear red ties anymore. Like, I Yeah, you can't. Assume. Those are out. Yeah, they're so out. <laughs> so he's 10 inch nail. Gabe made fun of his screen name out loud to the court, which... Feels illegal. Um, he goes, oh, we already know you exaggerate, but that's a dumb correlation. Like, my screen name was Movie Star 54. Like, am I going to jail because I lied? You know what I mean? Like, the guy who taped the video is 10-inch nail, right? So yeah. Gabe is trying to humiliate him. And it's yeah. like, what's yours, Gabe? Yeah. What's yours, Gabe? Can't get it up, Gabe? Like, come on. <laughs> um, Gabe also, well, this also reminds me of Stanford from Sex in the City because he was... Nine inch something, but I don't remember what yes. it was. I don't. Yes. Uh, I wish I remember. What was it? What was it? And then it was like too cute for you or something like that. Who was the other one? The other person? Yeah, I really just do. Not and he remember. had to go to. Isn't that where he went to the underwear party to meet them? Yes. Yeah. That's why trivia is so enraging when you go because it's like you see the whole scene, you see everything, and then it's like fuck, I don't remember what his screen name was for you. It wasn't it for you. It was like nine inch for you or something. But no, maybe yeah. not an inch. Maybe there's no... Yeah. Oh, Everyone's going to write this in our comments if I don't just say, big tool for you. Big tool for you. <laughs> Which honestly is not a lie. Like there's no, this, you know, the tension yeah. of it all. The yeah. bigness of a tool is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> yeah. Big tool for you. Thank you for looking it up. That would have killed my spirit fully. What, but I think it's a dumb correlation. Anyway, so we're back. And Gabe also, like, slips and goes, Kendra, whoops, I mean, Zoe. But asked if this was his first time catching a live show. He, of course, says no. Um, first time that day, no, I guess. So this guy is addicted to Kendra. And he explains the other sessions she had was with the voting, asking for tips, what was going to happen that night, the fantasy. And Gabe goes, and you didn't want to miss it, did you? You watched the whole thing. And what did you do during it? What did you do during the whole fucking assault? And he was masturbating, unfortunately. There is an objection, but the judge allows it. And he answers, maybe, until I realized that well, that's not what she wanted. And Gabe raises his voice. You come first, then realize that? Another objection. Oh. <laughs> this is like the Jerry Springer of court. Um, he takes it back, but nothing further, and then goes and sits down. Now we have John Waters on the stand to represent Sugar Fab. I just love it so much. It's Why are we bringing John Sugar Fab to the stand? <laughs> I feel like John Waters probably just loves SVU, right? Like, he probably is, like, friends with Marishka and is like, just get me on. Yeah. 
Um, I, I doubt he auditioned. I just like, I love it. He calls Gabe a frequent customer, but doesn't follow a lot of performers, just one, Zoe. And they refer to him as a monogamous user. His usage is on a bell curve. Like if there's a bell curve, he's in the high usage area. And he knows that from cookies and they know everything and make money off of him. He's also different because he contacted the site to ask for her address to send gifts. So they forwarded the Amazon wish list. He says there's no physical contact and our viewers know this. So the woman lawyer stands up to defend Gabe and goes, wait, you're telling me he's monogamous, loyal, generous? And then Gabe stands up and stares at the woman to sit down. So even though the woman's helping him, you could tell he wants to control, feels entitled to it. Like, I just, I love the layers of this. But when he stared at her and she went to sit down, did you have feelings? Yeah, he's creeping me out. He's gross. Yeah, that was a leading question. Leading the witness. Okay, so... <laughs> Objection. Badgering. <laughs> um, he is scum and a great actor, I wrote. John Waters is like, I don't know her, but this shouldn't have happened to her. And he's like, really? How much do you make off of rape fantasies? And John Waters stares at him with pity and sadness. Carisi sits down and sighs super hard. It cuts to Benson and Tamin running upstairs and Benson asking, what happened? Tamin explained that Gabe showed up and talked his way into his into the father's. Oh my God. Like I wrote this and I'm, I'm like re-surprised and shocked. So we're done with court and now we're running. And basically this motherfucker snuck his way in to hang out with her father. The women are like, don't worry, we have a restraining order, Zoe. Like, we will take care of this. We'll handle it. He's with the dad. The detectives come in and they're like, is something wrong? And Zoe goes, get away from my father. And then we hear the dad say, oh, I met your boyfriend. He's a nice man. He brought me ice cream. And she's like, that is not my boyfriend. Cat goes, that's it. Let's go. Your violation of restraining order. And the dad is like, I don't understand. And it's like, duh, you didn't understand earlier in the day either. You have a memory problem. They take him away and arrest his ass. So as he's getting hauled away, he um, like is telling Zoe, I didn't mean to hurt you and I forgive you. And that someday we will look back at this and laugh. And Kat goes, probably not, sir. And we're in a hallway and Creasy's like, fuck, our girl is spooked and stressed. And Finn um, says that the court officers told him that Gabe had a rough night in the tombs, which I'm really happy for. Beat his ass up. I'm usually against jail violence, but he deserves a couple punches. Creasy's like, well, and like, what's crazy is like, why is this guy not going for mental disease or defect? Like he truly thinks that this trial is just going to clear everything up and he'll be back with his girlfriend again. Like it's, I don't know why his lawyer at this point is not like, let's go for insanity. He probably wouldn't let them because he thinks he's no. a girl legal. Okay. He would not let anyone. He does not think he's crazy. He just thinks they've gotten into a scuffle. And also, this is in cell vibes. It's like entitlement to women. Like they're not yes. people or thoughts. So like he's just like she'll come. To, she'll come. Around. Or that and that he's special. It's like she has hundreds and hundreds of guys that watch her, give her gifts, get like have privates with her, and you're the one. You're the one that she's been like secretly communicating with. You know what I mean? So, and Creasy's like me. When he hears he had a rough night in the tombs, he goes, good. I don't buy this fucking act. And Finn goes, listen, as a man with experience, I don't think he's faking this. Like, if you stay on screens long enough, then that's your reality. And then the sim life becomes the simulation. Creasy goes, come on, that's stupid. And Finn goes, you're stupid. You're like, what? <laughs> he goes, the longer you're a DA, the less you remember about being a cop. You got to get out of your head and into his. This makes Creasy think. We're in court, ice cold fast. Okay, we're in court. Zoe's on the stand and she's talking about being an introvert and a private person. 
And Carisi's like, how hard is it to be here today? And she goes, very. But I'm here because what he did was wrong because that's not what camming is. So he asks her to explain what camming is. And she says, it's not just taking your clothes off for money. There's more to it. It's a community. There's fans. We hang out. We talk. You know, everyone feels so isolated with the pandemic. And Carisi's like, well, some are sexual, right? And then Gabe objects. And the judge is like, on what grounds? He goes, well, she shouldn't have to ask that. That's what's crazy, too. He also feels like her protector. Like, he doesn't realize he is the aggressor in any way yeah. either. Um, so anyways, it's LOL overruled. <laughs> and she says, yes, I respond to sexual requests that I want to do. She has never camped with anyone else in the room. I have never met any of my clients in person. And she goes, that is my big boundary in all of this. And she says, I was acting out a fantasy. It was role play. I was crying and saying no. And he knew. Now he gets to fucking go after her. Sicko. So he gets up slowly. She looks nervous. And he says, Miss Carrera or Zoe, which would you prefer? She says, I prefer not to talk to you at all. He says, we used to talk a lot every day. And the judge, a.k.a. Soprano's sister, goes, listen, you have to answer. She just replies, yes. He then asks about her sexual role play that has been consensual. He's like, did I ever ask you to smile? She says, yes. Play with your hair, yes. Unbutton blouse. Touch yourself, breasts. Let's get it. So he can, he can ask all these violating questions but not Carisi. It's like totally right. what you said. Like he is special. Um, yeah. And he, he's like, and you loved all of it. And she's like, what? Shut up. I hate everything. I was pretending. She says she doesn't remember saying I love you. And he has a fucking recording. So now we're watching videos of her and it does seem so violating. And it's her being like, I want you bad. I love you. And, um, he starts playing more and more videos of her being like, I want you, take take me, be rough with me. And a lot of her pleasuring herself. There's moaning and he's staring at it so hard that his eyes are tearing. Like his eyes start to like water oh, with hoardiness. I've never heard that in my life. Like it, it really, like he was transfixed and zoomed into the screen in a way that I've, great acting. She says, you're not supposed to record that. And he goes, yeah, but that's you, right? And he's still staring at it as he's talking to her and the eyes keep getting wetter and more deranged. And he says, but that was you having an orgasm. And she goes, I was faking it. And he says, wow, looked real to me. And everyone is really disgusted by this line of questioning. He keeps looking at it while talking to her and asks if she's ever done this in other relationships. And she's like, yes, it's called camming. It's not real. How many more times do I have to fucking repeat myself? And now it's a video where she goes, I want you to break it in a mask and take me and make me come. So not good for this jury. He asks, what's up? And she's like, I'm role-playing and pretending. I mean, how many more times can we do this? How many more times can I say the exact yeah. same things? Yeah. He's like... You, uh, he's like, you wanted it. She goes, I said no. She starts to cry in the sand, wipes away tears. She's so sad. She's like, I did not want to be raped. He's going so hard at her. It's going, it's getting more aggressive. He's like, you're such a good liar. How do I know you're not lying now? And he touches the COVID glass covering the sand. And Creasy's like, hello. And the judge is like, Mr. Miller. He steps back, uh, but then goes to her again and is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the judge is like, sit down. So Zoe's crying, saying this was a mistake. I can't do this. Carisi is like, fuck, did I fuck this up? Tamin shakes her head. What do we do now? Carisi's in his vest alone in an empty court thinking, and Kat walks in and says that Zoe has calmed down a little after she had a full-on panic attack. And they're scared about the jury, and Zoe is um, scared 
is scared that that like you know she looks like a crazy liar slut. How do we show the jury he's crazy, not her? Dramatic music plays. Cat asks if she can help, and he just glares at her. So she's like, "I'll go stay with Zoe." Finally, she gets it. No one likes you. So <laughs> more music and thinking. Now we're back in court. Let's see what Carisi has planned up his sleeves. So he's brought up all the old camming witnesses back up in a parade of questions. Right. So the first guy, Nine Inch Nail. <laughs> oh, the band. Yeah. But it's 10 inch. Okay. Did you get that right away? Yeah, yeah, Fuck yeah. Fuck off. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just got it. I just got it. <laughs> so the first, so, you know, we got this guy. And so he goes, Kendra understands me. I tell her a lot of personal things. Um, and Gabe is like pissed. And he goes, yeah, you know, I tell her my dreams and she really cares about me. And Creasy asks, does she love you? And Gabe is pissed and objects, putting putting words in his mouth. <laughs> So he's going to rephrase. So can you describe your emotional relationship with Kendra? And Nine Inch Nails like, yeah, we love each other. And Gabe's getting so agitated. And he says, even if it's role play, it's real to him. And then they're like, well, have you ever contacted her in person? And he goes, no, you can't just, you can't do that. And Creasy sits down. Gabe, your witness, the judge says, and he answers, I'm not talking to him like a child on a playground. <laughs> He's trying to take my girlfriend. And now another guy is up there. Did you guys have fake weddings in elementary school? During I recess so. and stuff? Yeah. That's I mean, so Rosie weird. just had a fake wedding at camp last summer. She got married to a little five-year-old boy. It's so funny. I remember like the where like we would run and be like, the wedding's starting in five. <laughs> <laughs> By the tree. Okay. So he says um, <laughs> him and his wife, Cam, with her. Um, they've been camming since last August. He goes, you know, it's a safe threesome. We're super close. We love each other. And we always say we love you. And I know we're paying her, but, it, you know, it's real to us. Gabe rushes to ask him. Kendra really said she loves you. Yeah. he's And this guy's kind of hot. He reminds me of Ethan from Survivor Early Seasons. And he says, I don't believe you, um, but you can prove it. And the guy's like, well, we don't tape the sessions. And Gabe yells, you're, you're not supposed to. Yeah. And Gabe yells, you're making it up. And the hot dude's like, um, why would I do that? <laughs> and Gabe's stressed and is like, maybe you're jealous. And then he runs and sits down. <laughs> and then another guy's up there, um, a trader, you know, finance guy. He goes, listen, I work 16 hours a day. After work, I pop a beer and I party with Kendra. We're best friends with benefits. And Creasy asks if he's ever contacted her in real life. He goes, not in a million years. Gabe stands up and screams, oh, really? Your best friend? Are you going to tell me she says I love you too? And the judge is like, please sit down. So then the trader hunk is like, can I answer? And looks at Gabe and says, if I pay her to say she loves me, she'll say it. That's the deal, man. And so the people rest. Gabe says he has no questions for this witness, but at this time he wants to recall Zoe Carrera to the stand. Carisi objects and they approach the bench. He says he has a new line of questioning and it isn't his right. So basically what the judge says is, give me all of your questions. I will agree to them. And it, you're going to have very narrow parameters. And if you lie, violate them, I will hold you in contempt. Kat comes and yells at him. And she's like, I promised Zoe she wouldn't have to testify again. And he's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. So what should I tell her? Um, Kat asks and he's like, tell her it's the opposite of a camming session. Um, do not give in to him at all. Do not do anything he fucking says. So we're back on Gabe and he's apologizing to Miss Carrera and she's like, you subpoenaed me, you loser. <laughs> he says, 
I'm sorry, but it's the law. And Carisi's like, is there a question here? And Soprano's judge is like, you've been warned. So copy that, he asks. And he goes, did you tell Larry Hughes you loved him? She says, yes. He shows um, her transcripts on the screen and it's heart emojis. And he's like, so this heart emoji means love? And she goes, yes. And then Carisi and the judge are like, move on, Mr. Miller. He then asks her to read something out loud and she doesn't and says, I'm not reading that. So she, so then he reads it out loud. And it's like things that she said to him. And she's like, yes, I wrote that. And he's like, okay. And again, I'm asking you to read it out loud. She says, I don't want to. He says, you have to. I can ask any question that I want. Isn't that right, your honor? And Zoe goes, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, judge. And she's like, Mr. Miller, what? Like, what do you want from us? We hate you. So he starts getting angry and demands, say, I love you. I love you the most, Gabe. And he keeps um, getting closer to her. And she's like, no. And he then pleads with the judge, like, tell her she has to or she'll she'll be held in contempt. Tell her she has to say she loves me the most. So Carisi's plan is working. Everyone is seeing how <laughs> crazy he is. So he's getting very close to the COVID glass, repeating, you have to, you have to say it. When I ask you to do something, you do it. He hits the glass. She gasps and looks really scared. Why aren't you doing the things I'm asking you? He's losing it, screaming. He climbs up, trying to climb into the jury box. Like, please, why? Why aren't you doing it? Uh, Why aren't you doing what I say? And the judge starts gaveling and gaveling. Like, that's going to do anything. The guy's climbing into the COVID glass. The bailiffs (laughs) grab him and start pulling him away. She says, there is no Kendra. I am Zoe. You raped me and this is the last thing I wanted. He escapes the men that are holding him and runs towards the jury box, rips down the COVID glass and screams, I love you, Kendra. I love you. He's pleading. I love you. Tell them you love me, Kendra. She puts her hands on her heart. Everyone is stunned, truly stunned. Gabe is dragged off, um, you know, from the courtroom. It takes like, you know, and then they just pan to everyone's faces, like 10 seconds of everyone's stunned faces. We're back at the precinct and Benson's like, damn. So he changed his plea. And Carisi's like, yeah, he's going to do seven years for attempted rape. But he did rape. Oh, is it because it was fingers? I don't know. It wasn't attempted. Well, I mean, yeah, like the guy that did the the Stanford kid that raped that girl, like he used a bottle. Like it's still rape. So like, I don't really know well, why. Well, yeah, not a good example since that guy, what, got three months? Well, that's true, but that was bullshit. But like the, the charge itself should still be rape. I don't really know why. Something about a bottle makes it seem worse. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Oh my God. So he did call her, but it went to voicemail um, and she's gone off the grid. So Kendra's off the grid. Kat starts yelling at everyone again. (laughs) First game, now the trial. Now she can't make a living anymore. We didn't protect her. And they're like, relax. And Benson's like, punch out and take a few days off. Kat goes, don't patronize me. And this should never have happened to her. And Benson's like, yeah, I've been working in SVU for 24 years. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that she, I just, I know it's young. I'm sure I've been, I have acted like this in my life. It's just really hard to watch. Um, Finn says, I'll walk you out. So she grabs her coat and follows him. And Carisi's like, oh, so she's mad at us now? What did she expect? And Benson's like, she just wants Zoe to do whatever she wants to do. And I agree. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. And um, being a woman in this world, sadly, we are very limited by the behavior of men. That is reality. <sighs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much for that beautiful recap, Lisa. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with some crime. Although not really a crime this time. Don't go anywhere. (music) 
listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Okay, we're back. This episode is loosely based. We wanted to do this episode. Uh, we have cool guests and it's a great episode, but the the it's not really a crime. It's more like an incident that this is based on. This is loosely based on Lauren Caitlin Quay, who was a 23-year-old paramedic working in New York City starting in 2019. She, and she worked uh, as a paramedic like through, through the pandemic. And she originally moved to New York from West Virginia. What's up to my in-laws? Um... And she wanted to be on Broadway. She studied musical theater at the American Musical and Dramatic Academy, graduated in May of 2017, and then later got a job as a paramedic. I don't know. I only recently heard this, that paramedics get paid so little. Like, these are the people that get to the scene and try to keep you alive until you get to the hospital. They make $15 an hour. Like, it's truly criminal how little they make. Um, and so this girl was supplementing her income with photos and videos of herself on OnlyFans. And I remember only this. I remember this case. Yes. Wow. Yes. If you own, if you don't know what OnlyFans is, it's literally kind of like sugar fap. I mean, some people are on there not showing nudes. Some people are just whatever, but it is like- Larsa Pippen's just showing her toes. Yeah, some people do feet. <laughs> some people probably like, I don't know, eat whipped cream, like whatever turns people on. Like you can fucking f probably find it on OnlyFans. I know drag queens have it. A lot of people have it. And it's, it's like a great way to just make money that I think, I guess the reason they can't really use Patreon is Patreon doesn't allow nude stuff, right? So that's kind of the reason for, it's like a, Nudie Patreon. So the New York fucking post, which uh, one time Munch made a comment in an episode where he goes, the New York ledger, the only reason for it is to line my birdcage. And I, I believe that about the New York Post. Like it is truly a garbage paper that does like writes horrible articles. So they wrote an article about her and outed her as an OnlyFans worker. And the article went viral. And this was in December of 2020. So like a month before this episode came out. And the post was trying to shame her. How did they find out about any of this? We don't know. Somebody tipped off the post that this girl was doing both. And so who knows who that is was? Is there a law you're not allowed to? I'm just confused. Like, no, there's like, no law. I this? think the post, the post just wanted to be like, isn't it crazy that this person works in a position of helping people, but also has like this other sexual per like side? It's truly so 1950s. I can't even wrap my brain around it. And we get to the bottom of like why she talked to them and all that. But um, in the article, she says to the Post, 
Quote, the bottom line, I don't get paid a lot. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I truly don't think this has anything to do with being a paramedic, end quote. And also she says, at the end of the day, it doesn't affect how I treat people. What I do in my free time is my business. It has no effect on how I care for my patients. I know when I'm working, I'm a paramedic and I think I'm pretty good at my job. There are plenty of people who are medical professionals who have every right to do what they want with their own bodies. I'm not doing it at work. Healthcare workers aren't making a lot of money and I'm not the only one trying to make ends meet. So the story really blew up because it was like, quote unquote, scandalous. But it also highlighted the larger issue of overworked and underpaid healthcare professionals, especially during the pandemic when people are working extra hours, seeing horrible, traumatic things and like not getting any more money and not being appreciated. So a lot of people like AOC defended her. Like the po- she responded to the post tweets going, quote, leave her alone. The actual scandalous headline here is, quote, medics in the United States need two jobs to survive, end quote. So after the story blew up, Lauren spoke out against the New York Post and the reporter who interviewed her named Dean Balsamini uh, and claiming that he kind of scammed her. She wrote on her Facebook, let me be very clear. I did not want the NY Post to run this article, much less use my name. When Dean Balsamini because there was a co-author of the article named Susan Edelman, but she's not really named in any of this. But when Dean Balsamini first interviewed me, he did not tell me what this was about until after I disclosed most of my background. He did not include in his article that I started crying on the phone when he finally did tell me what he was inquiring about. He did not include that he played this quote-unquote friendly guy reporter who just wanted to get my side of the story since, you know, they were going to run it anyway with or without my input. Most of the quotes in that article are me defending myself to this reporter. He did not include that I begged him to remain anonymous, which was never agreed to, and that I told him my safety and job were going to be at risk if he posted this article. He truly did not care. He went on to call my employer and my mother. So... She also said in her Facebook post, I'm a damn good paramedic. I love my job and I love taking care of people. I don't want to quit my day job and get my bag on OnlyFans. I want to serve the city of New York and that's all I've ever wanted to do. And she just talked about struggling throughout the coronavirus. She said she'd been suicidal. She'd had panic attacks. And um, a supervisor had even told her, maybe you should consider another profession if you don't grow a thicker skin. But then throughout this whole process, she became a real figurehead about how fucked up it is that medical professionals like all need second or third jobs to make like ends meet while they're risking their lives for other people. So it's pretty fucked up and fuck the New York Post. So that's kind of that story. It's pretty short and sweet. Do we know how she's doing? Like, is she making millions on OnlyFans? Is she, she, what's well, she up to? She did do a GoFundMe and she and she earned like a few, like many, many thousands of dollars on GoFundMe and she was using that to like, because she was like taking care of a grandfather. Like it was, so I, I think that's where they got some of the, information too, like with um, Zoe's father and like being in the memory care facility, like, you know, people have a lot of obligations and like paying for school. I'm sure she was paying for school. Like, so you got to make ends meet. And that's all she was trying to do. And I don't know why the New York Post thought, like, I guess I understand if you're a public figure, if we all found out that like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez was sidelining on OnlyFans, I guess that's a story because that's a public figure and a person that asked and was elected or whatever, you know? But this is like a random girl making 15 bucks an hour as a EMT and you're just outing her and it became such a huge like viral article. I think mostly because people were like shaming the New York Post as well. Like I didn't I didn't really think many people were like, yeah, she shouldn't be doing that. It really felt like most people were like, what the fuck, New York Post, you know? Fucking with people's money. I'm very against that. Yeah. But this is all from like a year ago. I don't really know what she's up to now. Um, I hope making tons of money. I follow one porn star, um, 
that on OnlyFans, she makes 200 grand a month and just bought a $3 million house and is like crushing it. Like, why wouldn't you do that if that was your passion? Yeah. Right. And it does feel safe. And like, you can do it around the hours that you work, saving people's lives. Like, I don't know. Like, no, but these dudes are fucked. Like, a big no no is when people try to call them by their legal names. It's always like, don't do that. But people always try to do it. I mean, uh, it's like always pushing the limits of people's boundaries. It's really fucked up. This has nothing to do with this. I don't know what's happening, but this pisses me off. And I hope she's rich and doing well and pay everyone better, pay teachers better. Like, I, I don't, I hate the world. I don't know what But I love say. this girl because she really stood up and like spoke out and instead yeah. of just slinking away and being like, oh my God. And she did keep her job, by the way. Oh, She met with her employer and her like at the the specific like ambulance company she worked for and they had her keep her job. So I have no idea if she's kept going with the OnlyFans, but I love that she was kind of like, they fucked with the wrong one. Like they thought I didn't have anything to say and I have a lot to say. So she was actually speaking up a lot. Don't go away, guys. Guest time is coming right up. Okay, you guys. This is a, that's messed up first. Today, we have not one, but two guests. We were able to secure two amazing guests who were in today's episode. And we're so excited. So you can listen to both interviews. We're going to start with the first one. Our first guest is essentially already a Broadway legend. He originated the roles of Beetlejuice in Beetlejuice and Dewey Finn in School of Rock on Broadway. Both got him Tony Award nominations for Best Actor in a Musical. And on today, you know him as the incredibly creepy incel Gabe Miller. Guys, please enjoy our convo with Alex Brightman. Oh my gosh, this is so fun. I know uh, we did get complimented off before the sound synced, but I hope I'd want our audience to know. <laughs> yeah, this is Do you want me to say it? Cool. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> can you take that compliment from the top, Alex? Thank yeah, I can. I'm happy um, to. <laughs> Yeah, well, if our listeners don't know, you've been in School of Rock, you've been in Beetlejuice, nominated for a Tony for both. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about well, no, this. we got to talk about Beetlejuice. Like, how wild is it to land the part of Beetlejuice Oh, I don't think I'm even get to that later. Yes. It is wild. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild to get anything in any... By the way, it, as an actor, yeah. there, as, as I'm sure everybody listening knows, is that there's 10 billion of us in the world. And, and <laughs> to land anything anywhere in any capacity at any theater is wild. But to do it in you know on Broadway is crazy. And then to be nominated is insane. And then to be again, nominated is absolutely yeah. ludicrous. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really one of those things that I continue to look back on. And I'm like, this is this is too much now. I feel like I owe somebody somewhere. So uh, wow. now I'm just, I'm hanging on to the momentum. But yes, Beetlejuice was absolutely wild. It was six years of my life developing it and wow. helping them develop it with Anthony King and Scott Brown and uh, everybody there. And I Wait, stuck Anthony around. Wait, Anthony King from UCB? Yeah. Oh, I know him forever. Yeah, Anthony. That's Anthony, crazy. Uh, Anthony I didn't know he co- was involved. Yeah, he co-wrote the show, and so he oh. he uh, yeah, and it was, and so it's that's why the show was so funny, like genuinely, like laugh out loud, punch you in the gut kind of funny stuff. Because we had two, one very very big and improv guy in sketch, and then we also had Scott Brown. He's like maverick TV writer, and they both just had this like real comedy core to them. Uh, yeah, and not sort of not musical theater core. So they just sort of had this real funny way of going about it. Is it rare to do improv in a theater? Sh- in a bro- That's really rare, right? Extremely rare. but it, And it came with a lot of trust. 
um, with them and me. Because um, it was really only my character um, that kind of got to sort of, you know, screw around. And I break the fourth wall in the in the show a little bit and a little borscht belty kind of stuff. And yeah. A little bit of like Beetlejuice's graveyard review from yeah. uh, Universal Studios uh, yeah, when yeah, he kind of yeah. did all that kind of shtick. Uh, but yeah, I, every single night, got to, if I felt like it, because um, every night was crazily different. Because if I looked out in the audience and there was somebody who also wanted to become part of the show, <laughs> I had to shut that down in some ways and couldn't just break character and, be, and say, hey, pal. You know, I couldn't do that. I had to kind of oh, do yeah. it in the way Beetlejuice would, I guess. And so it, it was rare. But yeah, improvising every night, if I felt like it, they gave me a lot of latitude. That's, That's so, so cool. cool. Well, <laughs> one of the things with the Broadway that... I admire, but it seems tough. Like the schedule, the vocal stuff. Are you drinking? You don't drink. Like what's, uh, what do you do? I don't drink. Um, I treat my, I mean, it's really sort of like the same thing. There's no real like trick, trickety tricks. You know, it's like water, rest, um, going. The the big weird thing for all you, you know, actors out there that this is the weirdest, like nice trick that worked for me at least is when you go to a restaurant, even if it's a quiet restaurant, you're still way talking over what you should be doing and you don't realize it. So you can tire your voice out in ways throughout the day that just feels like you're resting. So what I ended up doing with a vocal pathologist, which was very strange, every time I would go and sort of work on my voice and work on my breath support and all that, she would have in the background on her computer playing ambient noise from a restaurant. So I would learn how to just subtly and like unconsciously or subconsciously like navigate that in the room so that I could bring that into my life. Um, and it worked. I mean, because I had to do a crazy voice in the show. Um, yeah, there's a thing in your, um, I am um, in, in your Wikipedia that uh-huh. talks about the kind of vocal, like late, like fold phonate yeah. that you use to you like make it. your Vo- voice dark. Like yeah, what, vocal, what is that? It's called ventricular fold phonation. Um, yeah, what is that? You ever heard of Tuvan throat singing? It's like no. this, you should look it up, T-U-V-A-N, it's wild. It's like um, a lot of like Inuit um, in the Antarctic uh, sort of Eskimo type singing where they sing in two tones with one vocal cord. And the way they do that is they vibrate the cartilage in their throat. So <clears throat> sort of like the cartilage you use to clear your throat. Uh-huh. Um, I was able to, over the course of a year, figure out through trial and error and just a lot of hard work, how to keep that vibrating while also using my vocal cords. And so wow. it it turns out like when, this is my voice, which doesn't sound monstrous at all, right? <laughs> um, but when <clears throat> turned into, mm, and then I was able to sort of talk like this the entire show and sort of make it all the way through the two and a half hours and just make this a thing, and then go back to this wow. when when it was and over, and have that not hurt, and have that at not all. hurt your uh, yeah, vocal cords at all, because because if not, I talk I'm like not, that for twenty minutes, I would be like hoarse. I can guarantee you, you wouldn't be able to do it for 20 seconds. Yeah. Um, and that's not a brag. That's just because it's biology. Um, yeah. It's, it, it took me a very long time. And then it became kind of a useless party trick if I wasn't at the show. <laughs> not and useless. Then it be- this was well, exciting. We this love was it. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I love it too. And then, and then the sort of the side perk of it is that it really elevated and like really amplified and uh, uh, accelerated my voiceover career. I, I started doing a ton of voiceover yeah. because of it. And really just specifically, people would come to me and go, can you just do that voice on this character? Because it really is one of those commodified sure. things. And I can go for hours. And so it's just kind of those, it became a really 
And also, I, I, I attribute that also to I've been a musical theater performer for 15 years professionally, so I take care of my voice for a living. So, okay, well, this actually, like, segues well, everything you're talking about with Broadway and COVID and everything into what we're talking about today with SVU, because when we were starting this podcast, it was you know, mid-pandemic. And a lot of people were sending us this article that was in Broadway.com, I think, about Lauren Light and how he was pledging to cast as many Broadway actors who were out of work as possible. And I believe your image in Beetlejuice was like the image in that article. <laughs> I think and it was me every- and Eva who was, who, was yes. in, who was the sort of the co-star of the episode, co-guest star of the episode. Yes. And so, so yeah, so did you know her before? Yeah, we all, I mean, I did, we all know, there's a lot, it's a very, very large kind of family community in the Broadway thing. We, you, you do a lot of events together and mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I did, I, I knew her uh, more peripherally than not. And now I know her, you know, much better because we have to do some pretty vulnerable stuff. Yes, for um, sure. But yeah, we got a lot of down, I mean, as you know about television, it's like you get a ton of downtime. So it was also just great to chat and we have a lot in common because we do theater and we know the same people and uh, it was nice. It was nice to have her there too, because it's. I'm so nervous when I do any television, just because I'm so used to doing the stage mm-hmm. that I, I gen- genuinely like, like, not prohibitively nervous, but like right there. Um, <laughs> what do you which think? Is it a nice is? feeling. It's. I'm so broad on stage. <laughs> I'm so big, and I. I don't know that I'm that big all the time, and I. I enunciate like crazy. It's just part of like what I know who I am. And TV is less about being that crisp because it's right. about looking as real as possible and as natural and believable as possible. And I'm coming off of doing School of Rock, playing Jack Black and Beetlejuice. Yeah. So, so it's, it's this muscle that I had to flex, and so. It just took me a second. It's still taking me a second, but I, I was sure. I was proud of what I did in that in that episode. I didn't know until I saw it, but I was like, "Yeah, that's all right. That's pretty good." Oh, so was yeah. it like a thing where I mean, you say you never have been offered anything, so you auditioned for this, or I was like, "Did Warren see you in Beetlejuice and just cast you?" Because we know he's like a big Broadway guy. Like I didn't know whether what the process was for you getting to SVU. Sort of both. I mean, I think that every actor in New York auditions for SVU. Mm-hmm. And so I had auditioned for them, like for the the office. And then so I think they knew who I was. Being in Beetlejuice and then being part of the pandemic, combined with them already having seen me do stuff and be on tape, that's when I got an email that said that they wanted to do it. Although I believe they wanted to do it before the pandemic and because of the pandemic had to push it. So I thought the episode was dead. I thought it was oh. gone. And it kind of came back into my life and I was thrilled um, because I, every it's a bucket list thing. You know, it's yeah. like, how many more seasons is SVU going to do? And so it's just like cool to be asked. And it's that, you know, are you a real New Yorker if you're not playing a corpse on a show? You know, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. So it was now cool Now it can too. be in your playbill, in your bio. That's right. That's right. That's right. And it's very exciting to put that in there. It's weird. It's very <laughs> yeah. strange to say that, but there is like a very like no, sort of giddy perk to doing that. And yes. when we go to Broadway, I'm always looking at who's been on SVU. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm like doing the river. I mean, yeah. I want to see what other shows people have done, of course, but like I'm like, what what episode were they in? You know? Yeah, totally. Um, so that's awesome. Okay, so you came in, you didn't know Eva that well. You guys obviously had to have this very strange relationship. When you, I was like, I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if they, he was like super joking around with her off camera to kind of wash away the stench of creepy that was happening during the (laughs) actual shooting. I will say what's cool about that set in general, and I think that Eva's also hysterical. She's wonderful and she's really funny and 
Uh, she gets incredibly deep about subjects, but she's also hilarious. Um, so yeah, we we were able to sort of like turn it off and on. I mean, when we did like big scenes, like the courtroom one, there weren't much like room to do that because we kind of mm-hmm. kept having to turn it around. And that scene played out like a play. And it was like a six-page scene that we did basically all the way through because we were both stage actors. And we're like, we'll just do it. We don't need to do it in parts. And it yeah. built up to this nice thing. But to the point, the set, there, everyone on set, cam- they've been doing it for so long and the subject matter is so heavy that they sort of have this agreement there that they like need to keep it bubbly. They need to keep the levity um, up. And I think that's great. And it's not in any, it's no, it's never, it never felt like to me it was at anybody's expense, like any like sort of like making fun of what situation it is. Right. You know, because it is extremely sensitive and you don't know who's on set, who's been possibly living some of that stuff because mm-hmm. it's not rare. Um, sure. So it was very cool. The balance they've struck over the last, what is it, two decades, two, almost two and a half decades of doing the show. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was, there is a lot of laughter. I mean, um, Kara up top said that you were funny um, during this. And one of my favorite parts was when you looked at your like co-counsel and you just gave her a look and she turned around and sat down and you could just tell this guy hates women, but it was so funny. I don't know. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm so glad you find that funny. Oh yeah. That was an incredible moment. And she kind of like gives in. So like, all right. And hates her life a little, but that whole performance, like you really make people hate this guy in a way yeah. that is like blood boiling. I, I good. Is it wild when you watch it to see yourself as this dude? I I'm genuinely. I watched it uh, the same night my family watched it. I watched it with my wife, and the whole time I was like, sort of like watching it in ways of like, because it's not you, you know. It's yeah. Like, it's, yeah. But it is your voice and your face and that stuff coming out of your voice and face, and you're like, Jesus, this is. Yeah. I mean, it's that moment where you really understand that, like, that this show has super fans that like look at you. Not they don't know who I am, so they just look. They just know my face and voice as that guy, and so that's really was a weird. Um, that's a strange ambivalence to be like, I did a great job as this, um, <laughs> and so. Yeah, the whole time it's like, and then your family, like my family and friends called and they had, my mom was like, do I say I'm proud of, like, what do I say? Like, I'm really proud of you for what you did on that show. Like, it's a really strange hump to get over because it, there's, he has like very little redeeming factors. But what I find really frustrating and interesting about that episode and the character is you start to like weirdly endear yourself in ways to his story, that he's just a confused, and like it really starts to see the jury go like, hmm. yeah. He starts making like salient points, and you're like, oh no, and you see people start to go, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Until you really do, they strip away and, and see that he is actually, you know, obviously a sociopath, and yeah, something's majorly wrong with him from the jump. There's nothing about what happened made him that way. He was that way before the episode, so. Yeah, the other wild moment I'm curious about is when you're watching all the videos and your eyes are like tearing up. But is it like from horniness? Like, what was it? Like, what? <laughs> like, and they kept getting like you wetter, to- <laughs> but it wasn't crying and you were into the videos. And I was like, it, it was really wild. It was like you were yearning for the good old days where yeah. you guys could just God. role play and everything was okay. I truly, in this moment, I've now I know what it sort of feels like to be deposed. I feel like I'm being <laughs> like in a deposition right now. Did you like it? You liked it, didn't you? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know what's cool is that this was the first time I'd done 
a scene that just took a long time to shoot. Like we just, and we got to play it out. So just the emotion of just being in the moment and the videos were uh, actually playing on the screen. It wasn't green screen. So I got to like watch these extremely uncomfortable videos. They had to warn the entire set because there's tons of people in the courtroom. And this is like Eva being at her most vulnerable, um, saying really, really raunchy, like really sensitive things that were meant to be private. And just me, Alex, watching them got uncomfortable. And so like it, the idea was to like push that down and use all this weird emotion, like my friend Eva, my friend, you know, and just turn that into like longing. And also like the director gave such a great note, which was, I don't want, I, uh, the only thing I want you to feel is that she's betraying you. That she's breaking up with you. like She's you, your you, girlfriend. Yeah. No, you did nothing wrong and she's letting you down. So the whole thing yeah. is heart, you're heartbroken. You're not, you're not angry. You're heartbroken. And so I was like, that is an excellent note because I think that does come through. There is something about him that you're, that he just feels wronged. Uh, so what is the, the process of the assault scene? What is that? The actual, like, the yeah. cold open assault thing? Yeah. Yeah, because now it is the time of um, intimacy coordinators, which I don't even think 10 years ago was a thing. So I'm sure that very, was, like, very a rare. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, extremely rare. It's it's much more prevalent now for great reason and a little too late, obviously. Uh, uh, but better late than never. But we had one. Um, we did a whole rehearsal and a talk and a big consent thing and everything was choreographed to the inch. Um, wow. So nothing was like improvised and it was heavily restricted to like, to just like to go with it. You know, it's like that. And it, we, and also thankfully, Eva and I know each other. So that was yeah. like really helpful. So it wasn't like just, hi, how are you? And then having to like grab her arm and shove her against the desk. Um, so we did a lot of rehearsal to make it look reckless um, and also editing super helps, you know, it makes yeah. it look much more crazy than it was. But a lot of it was like piece by piece. And we had, I, I don't remember if there was like, I don't know what the word is. If it's, is it a safe, I don't know if it's safe word. Is that what it is? But I think we definitely had like a, if you're uncomfortable, because like she's, cat, I, I come, I come around her she's and grab handcuffed. her mouth, I think. Or yeah. She, yeah, she's, oh, she's already handcuffed. Right. And so I come over and grab her mouth. And so it became this thing which interestingly enough, because it was shot during the pandemic, so with a lot of testing going on and a lot of closeness, that we actually, uh, during rehearsal, the COVID supervisor and intimacy coordinator had to come in and say, you actually can't put your hand over her mouth. <laughs> because wow. it was still pretty, we're, it was pretty early on. And yeah. so there was, it, I think it was like 1.0, you know, COVID. And so yeah. we really had to be careful and um, considerate. Um I got to say that it once we choreographed it and it was easy because again we're both theater actors so choreography comes pretty simply to us and uh once we got it it was pretty seamless. The hardest part for me was climbing through the window. Oh um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a real big trouble with that. They, there I'm sure on somewhere on the cutting room floor there is uh me there is a, a scene where my right foot gets caught in the window and I stumble into the room where the, that would have been the end of the episode, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah, That's I just not immediately quite as quite as scary. <laughs> right. And so, uh, no, it wasn't. I, I was, for so many reasons, uh, nervous to do that scene and also the episode. I remember having yeah. these, like, when I read it, I was like, God, I don't, you know, and I'm, I was on social media at the time and I just didn't want to, like, I don't, I was like, is this the role? You know, like, is this the right. thing? And then 
I guess my criteria became like, if it's good enough, like if it feels good enough, then it's worth it. And I just read the rest of the episode and I was like, well, this is great. And he does get his comeuppance, which like is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it, but it, there was truly a moment where I remember asking my wife, I was like, is this something I should be doing? Like, because it's a raw time um, to be even playing someone like that. And it felt odd. I'd never thought about that until like really recently about like, the characters you choose to play and what mm-hmm. people might think that they rep that you were like really drawn to it in some way. Thankfully, that never came up. I mean, it, nobody ever. I mean, the most I got was people being like, wow, I really hated him, which means you did a good job. Yeah. So yeah. that's like the worst it got. And so that, I, which again, it's a lot of your own neuroses. What's is there anything you'd like to plug? Tell the listeners where to find yeah, what's, you, what's, what you're the next in. Thing? Um, uh, well, okay, so the I'm not on social media, so sorry. Good for you. Um, but if you want to, if you want to hear my voice on a number of things, you can feel free to watch a show on YouTube Red called Hell of a Boss. Um, two words, Hell of a Boss. Um, there's two seasons of that out, and then there are two seasons on Netflix of a new show which I just adore, and I implore you to watch called Dead End Paranormal Park, where I play a dog named Pugsley. And then he is subsequently possessed by a demon. And I play both voices that sort of reside inside him. Um, And in the first season, there's a musical episode for uh, people that love musicals. And all the songs were written by Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's an excellent episode. But the whole show is really great. It deals with a lot of cool issues. Um, It's just also very fun. I just watched a kids animated show with one of my kids where I go, the lead, the person singing the theme song of this is the guy from Fall Out Boy. And I looked it up and I was right, but I forgot what show it was. Now, is this show, Paranormal Park, is this for kids or like an animated show for adults? It's a, I mean, when you say kids. um, My kids are, my kids are three and one. No, not for kids. (laughs) Okay. No, it's more for like, you know, the, I would say a very mature eight and up. Okay, got it. Um, but it's it is a lot of like stuff that would fly over um, kids' heads, and it's it's kind of scary too, which is interesting. But okay. it's it's like beautiful uh, animation, and uh, I think really well done. Has, I think my like, husband em- will like this. To be oh, honest, oh for sure. Yeah. I mean, I I really like it, and I'm and I I like Emily Osment is on it, and Alan Cumming, and um, oh Miss Coco really Peru's in it. Yes, that's right. Miss oh, Coco Peru is in it. That's right. Okay. That's right. Yes. Um, and so oh, there's they're that. Cute. Yeah, and so the dog with the little fez on is me. Oh, um, <laughs> um, that's so cute. Thank you so much for coming, Alex. Thank thanks. you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. He was so great. Love him. Love that he listens to the pod or knows us from comedy. What a great guy. But we're going to get into a deeper postmortem about it. Just let's get to our second guest first, a bona fide Broadway star. In 2017, she became one of the youngest nominees in Tony history. She got a nomination for Best Actress in a Leading Role in a Musical for her role as Kim in The Revival of Miss Saigon. She's also currently starring on Broadway in Town, a Lisa Traeger favorite. And you know her today as cam girl Zoe Carrera, a.k.a. Kendra. Guys, we had the best time talking to Eva Noblezada. Give it a listen. Oh my gosh. It's so great to have you. My... Brother's husband, my brother-in-law, is obsessed with you and so excited that I'm talking to you. So that's very nice of him. A little hello from a from a um well, 
One of the ways he found you was he got this YouTube video he saw you in, of I think the National High School Music Theater Awards, where, <laughs> where like you sang. But I feel like this is what, basically what I read about it, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was like you, you performed in this award ceremony, a casting director saw you, gave you the audition for Miss Saigon, and then you got it, which is fully a plot out of Glee. It's And I glee. just, like, I was reading about it. I was like, is she Rachel Berry, but like not annoying? Nope, like, I am what? not Rachel Berry. I'm not <laughs> fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> that's so wild. I mean, that's just like what catapulted you into like your Broadway career. Pretty much. I mean, that's crazy. That was almost, that was so long ago. That was in 2013. So that's literally 10 years ago. Um, uh, which is <laughs> ridiculous. But yeah, I, I uh, was doing the National High School Musical Theater Awards which, or the Jimmy Awards, which is a great way to showcase like young talent, uh, passionate talent uh, in America, uh, in the States. And uh, yeah, we they chose six finalists at the end of the ceremony and we got to perform these incredible solos that we've been working on all week with Broadway stars. And um, it was just exhilarating. Uh, everyone on stage was pretty much making their Broadway stage debut at like 16, um, 17. And thankfully, Tara Rubin was in the audience and she happened to be lifelong friends with my theater teacher. And they set me up to do some auditions in New York for Kim. And I can't you know, got the job, thankfully, and moved to London and started my professional career. Absolutely nuts. Crazy. Like at 17 or 18? Like, did you 17. finish high school? Nah. Oh my gosh. Nah. Who needs Hell that? no. I actually, <laughs> no, no one, I definitely didn't. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, because that's something I'm obsessed with asking when we get like our Broadway babies on is you have to take care of your vocals and you don't really get to like drink or party and, you know, warm teas in the day. So at, that means everyone partied into, at the Tony night. Well, you all went what, wild. what's kind of, am I allowed to curse on this show? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah, thank please. God. Um, what's, what, what, in, what in my opinion is total bullshit is, you know, we still expect to do eight shows a week. I, I personally believe that eight shows a week is unsustainable. Um, that's just my opinion, but you know, people have different opinions. Uh, so it's not like we were given the day off. In fact, on the Tony day, you wake up at like three, you go to the theater, you get your makeup and you get in costume. Then you go to radio city. Then you rehearse. Then you go back to the theater. You do a fucking show. And then you get into glam. Then you go to the Tony's awards and you party. So we were up probably for like, I would say we were up for like 32 hours. Wow. Oh my God. Because we, you know, we didn't have like a chance to, as a cast and as a company to like party with each other and celebrate. And like over the course of the evening, you, you don't see everybody at every time. So like four hours after the Tony Awards, you're in this random bar and you're like, there you are to like the director. Yeah. Like, it's just so crazy. But yeah, if some really people fun. can drink and like, I know a lot of people who like love going home and having like their two tequilas and then going to bed. It depends. Alcohol affects people differently. I've been sober for almost two months in a week. So I'm off the, I'm off the juice. Good for you. Thank you. Um, to do it over the holidays. Wow. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I guess we should dive into the SVU of it all since that is the purpose of this podcast, even though we would love to talk to you about Broadway forever. Okie um, <laughs> So, Take us through this like SVU journey. Like I, we know that Warren Light and Mariska Hargitay are big like Broadway heads. I mean, did they see you and bring you in? Like, did you audition? This was, I think, one of your first TV roles, right? 
This was my first TV role. Your first role. TV role. Wow. Like, you ever. can't tell on IMDb necessarily if it's always accurate. So I wanted yeah. to not assume. But first TV role ever. Um, yeah. How did it go down? Well, um, honestly, it was Warren. I mean, I think he saw that, you know, it was quite devastating that the pandemic took away the jobs of like tens of thousands of people or in, in New York um, across the across the board. So um, he essentially just offered me the the part because he knew that a lot of actors that he was aware of had, you know, lost their jobs. So um, I was extremely just, I jumped at it. The second they came through, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Yes, absolutely. Whatever they need. Um, so very thankful for Warren and the team for just offering the role without an audition because it really showed that like, okay, SVU is kind of, was kind of the only show that we knew of that was like consistently running in the beginning of the pandemic. So very grateful for his just generosity for giving me that opportunity because that was exceptionally kind, but everybody on in the cast was so (laughs) nice and like chill. I don't know what I was expecting. I had never done TV. I'd never been on a TV set before. Um, So it was quite an experience, but just, it just first and foremost, just grateful for Warren and the team for giving me a job in the pandemic. That was very kind. Yeah. Well, and you was crushed it like, the part, oh, but yeah, you were awesome. It, but Thank it you. was such a difficult subject matter. So once you like get the part, you read it all. It is your first TV gig. How do you prep for something like that? I mean, you prep as much as you can. I The, the only thing that I can really do with the script is try to get the character into my body and um, try to, you know, make sure that I have a, I have a looseness, but attention in my body so that I can, I can react to notes that people were giving me. Or if someone wanted to, if I came in with a certain idea of the character and they wanted to do a different direction, I was flexible enough to, to kind of go with the flow and, and read the vibe and go from there. But, um, you know, as an actor, there's not like, you know, I, I can, I can only come to work with so much. I can't come like fully formed, you know, um, in my opinion, it has to do with the people around me, but thankfully everyone was so kind and so patient and, um, yeah, it was a great first experience of TV. I'm very grateful for that whole team. Like everybody on that, in that building was just so kind. I'm still kind of blown away by the kindness. Um, cause you don't always meet like everybody that's like kind. Yeah. <laughs> so that was great. That was great. And then you knew Alex, um, Brightman, from Broadway stuff, right? Yeah, so that must have helped a little bit with like getting the comfort, right? That really helped, especially the fact that he was going to be assaulting me. <laughs> um, that was very helpful because, you know, he's also so funny. I am the kind of person that if I'm uncomfortable, I will just tell joke after joke, kind of like a very silly clown. And thankfully, Alex is somewhat similar. He's just one of the funniest people I've ever met. So that kind of helped with the nerves as well of us being on set. Um, so thankfully, he was there. But yeah, everyone was so funny and just so like chill. You know, <laughs> it was great. And then obviously courtroom. How did it feel to be in the courtroom to have Alex flip out the COVID, like the jerk, like all of that just seems kind of like a a dream day, maybe. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, I don't really remember how it felt from E because when I'm on set, I'm going to try to be in character. That's just how I am. I'm not going to, I was just grateful to be there first and foremost, but 
when the scenes are happening, I'm not even thinking like Eva, I'm completely thinking as like Zoe was. So I don't really have that many memories of like, whoa, this is awesome because I was just trying to focus on the lines and what I'm going to do. And do I want to try something different or, and like, oh my God, look at all these like famous fucking actors that are so cool and chill. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I don't, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I took a few, like, I had the most Eva moments in my dressing room, obviously, because that's like the only place you have to decompress. But other than that, I was pretty much like in work mode the whole time because I really wanted to get it right. Since it was, I mean, it's my first TV job. I'm not going to goof around and joke around. I wanted to take it seriously so that they knew that, okay, we gave her, we offered her this role and she took it seriously. And that's something that we can respect. Yeah. Wow. So you're in character the whole time outside well, of the dressing room. I, I try to be. I, as, I mean, if if we're like, in, if we're about to, if we're like 10 minutes out from filming and we're, we just happen to be there, yeah, I'll talk. And Mershka um, uh, actually pulled me aside when the, they were changing the camera positions and asked me some stuff about Hades Town. We had like a good, really sweet 10 minute chat with her. She's so freaking lo- lovely. And Jamie too was super sweet. Um, but, you know, I, I was just trying to focus. These people, that's what they do every day. You know what I mean? Like, that's their job. For me, that is, this. it's a, a different uh, mansion in the same world. And I have very little experience in it. So I wanted to make sure that I remained professional. And I didn't want it to look like I was having too much fun because it would feel like I'm taking advantage of this opportunity um, that they had so graciously um, offered me. So I wanted to make sure that I was being professional, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Totally, totally. Do you watch yourself, your own work? Like, did you watch your SVU episode? Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, as an actress, I want to make sure that I'm delivering what I am planning to. I, I, I want to set the bar high for myself. I think that's the only way to, like, consistently push myself to grow as an actress. Um, I definitely don't want to be the kind of person who just relies on, like, what they know and just, like, coasts on that, you know, to be kind of, like, stagnant in that way. But, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I don't enjoy watching myself, <laughs> but I, I find that that's a part of the, of the craft, you know, mm. like I'm not going to, if I was a painter, I don't think I would paint and like not look at it ever. I'd be like, uh, <laughs> it's a little rough. I want to yeah. make it better. So, yeah. <laughs> totally. I liked, I thought the episode was great. It was such a, yeah, I'm, it's a great thing to have to like in years be like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Like, yeah, I was in an SVU episode and I still think that Crazy. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And like the the episode's very interesting too because I mean it pulls into like all kinds of stuff about I mean, I don't know, incels and uh, but as well as like the isolation people were feeling during the pandemic and yeah. feeling like relationships with people online are something that they're not. And I was wondering yeah. like you as a performer, I mean, like we're performers, you're a performer of a very different kind than a cam girl. Of course, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but like, did you relate to this character in terms of like what audience members feel like they're entitled to from you? You know, like, do you, like she, this man felt like he was entitled to the, to Zoe. And like, do you mm-hmm. feel like sometimes your, your fans at the stage door are like, want too much from you or like, you know what I mean? Did you relate to this character in that way on, on any level? I mean, I guess a little bit. Um, I do, it is challenging sometimes, especially now, like we're, we signed a, a, a contract with Hades Town specifically that we are not doing stage door at the moment. And um, I mean, that's been a thing since we came back from the pandemic last September, but people get really annoyed and people think that we're lying and people are like, whatever, you just don't want to sign. It's like, no, we, we, we signed a contract saying that we can't sign. And it's, it is annoying um, 
but you know, the, the stage door, you know, experience doesn't come with your ticket. It's something that's like the actors choose to do. Um, and I think, you know, I get it. Like I was a young theater lover at once. And as much as I adored the actors, I didn't really realize what it genuinely took to do eight shows a week and live your own life. I just thought that people live to do eight shows a week, which is a very, you know, obviously people think like that. And I'm not going to say it's, I mean, it's not correct, but I'm not going to get mad at them for thinking that because they don't know if they're, if they've never done it before. And if they aren't familiar with the world and they don't understand that, like I have my own life, I also do eight shows a week. And that takes up so much of my time. All of my day is dedicated to making sure that I can do the show the best I can. So, um, and then after the show, after singing like two shows in a day, like to do stage door and talk to everybody. That's a lot on the voice. It's a lot on the body. I want to go home and walk my dog. I want to eat dinner for Christ's sake. So it's like, I can't get mad at them for wanting that because it's so exciting to come to New York and see a Broadway show and the tickets are so expensive. That's why I, 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 I like giving everything I have on stage because that it, it, it's, a, it's a harsh reality to hear. And I, I hate saying it out loud, but like we don't owe people at stage door to go outside and talk to everybody. Mm. I, we do it. Even I did do it whenever we are allowed to. And we, we were allowed to before we try to do it every single night, every single night, because we were just so, we are so grateful for the people that keep the show alive. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of extra, extra work to, to do that, but. And it makes sense. It makes sense. Like COVID's not totally gone. Like to just risk not being out of the show for a week over, yeah. you know, meeting people. That's the thing that I, yeah, I think people sometimes forget that, you know, if, if I test positive, like I can't go to work, like we're right. still like for, for, for 10 shows. Yeah, that's exactly correct. So, and I, you know, I used to think that like, oh, if, if I ever meet my Broadway idols, like, I don't know what I would think, but I, I, your, your questions, I liked your question. Cause I did relate a little bit to like the ownership kind of thing. Um, Who are your idols? Oh, when I was young, I mean... What's crazy? Julia Murney. I remember studying her voice in school. And then like she came to the show the other night because she knows Lilius White. And I was just like, I, I, it's crazy that I'm like, I'm your, you're my friend. Like I consider you my friend. That's Ugh. crazy to me. Cause like I studied your voice in school. And sometimes Lilius too, I'll look at her and be like, how dare you? You are so good. I used to study <laughs> you in school. Um, Gavin Creel, like so many people that I admire it. And I still obviously very deeply admire. It's like weird to like have the numbers on my phone and be able to text them and be like, Hey, let's go. Let's go for dinner. It's weird. Life is crazy. Do you, you're in Hades town right now, eight shows a week. Is that, would you have anything else coming up? Like, is there anything else that you are, have coming up that you want to tell our listeners about? Um, not really. Reeve and I do monthly shows. We do cabarets all the time just cause it's like our only way to escape. Um, you know, it's not, I don't always love singing musical theater every day. In fact, that's my the genre I listen to the least. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's nice to sing the music you want. But honestly, like, no, I, I I'm not I, I'm not the kind of person to like self. What's the word? Like, this is what I'm doing. Promote. Um, I do it. I yeah. really do it for myself. Like, if I really wanted to self promote, I would definitely become the person to self promote. But that is, if a movie's coming out, I'll promote it. But for myself, I do cabarets because it makes me happy. Um, and I don't, I guess I don't give a fucking shit what anyone else thinks. So I just kind of do what I want to do. <laughs> and if people want to come along for the ride, that's great. But I don't, I guess I don't like being like, hey guys, I'm doing a con concert. I'm going to keep advertising. I don't know. It just, yeah, I don't know. 
I just do it because it's fun and I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to do it. So I might as well just have the best time doing it. But yeah, for sure. But yeah. Yeah. Well, thank this, you so much. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Do you have any more, like, just before we let you go, do you oh, have yeah. any more, like, little SVU tidbits? Any fun run-ins with, I mean, you told us you had a, a nice combo with Marushka, but did anything funny happen at, like, uh, lunch or anything? Well, what's actually crazy is um, the gentleman who played my father in the uh, episode, Emilio Delgado, um, he knew my auntie because he was in Sesame Street and he did pass away. Um, he was so sweet. And I felt bad because he had to be in a wheelchair in some of the scenes in like the nursing home. And I don't know why, but I was really having a hard time, like just maneuvering him in the wheelchair. So I did, I kept kind of like hitting the door frame a few times. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, but he, he did pass away last year, which is horrible, but he was in Sesame Street. He played a character named Luis in Sesame Street. He was a huge icon to so many kids that grew up around that time. And he knew my auntie because she was, she played um, Selena, the dance uh, studio owner in Sesame Street. So wow. small world. Yeah. He did say, I know your aunt. And I was like, <gasps> so. It, yeah. she, and she's the same person that also played the same role as you in Miss Saigon, right? That's yeah. So, what a cool, like, family thing to happen. Crazy. Like, and my cousin was the original Tam. Wow. On Broadway. You guys are a musical family. That's so It's so in cool. the blood. Yeah. That's for sure. Wow. A twofer. We got to talk to two big Broadway stars, two people that Warren Light was like, it's pandemic. We need these stars to keep working. Get them on my show. And very dedicated. Dedicated actors, performers, really um, working hard on their crafts. Yeah. Taking care of their vocal cords. I know we go out and do stand. Like I had, uh, you do it all the time. You do it. You get up almost every night of the week. Like I, when I was getting up every night of the week, it was still like total... 30 minutes of of running your mouth. These people are in like these three-hour shows, singing, belting it out, eight shows a week. Yeah, the singing. And I mean, with Alex, he had to put a whole voice on for Beetlejuice. I mean, he had to speak in a full other voice. And he had to train in like an aboriginal type way of doing his voice. It's like really dedicated. You're right. Dedication is the word. But they were Um, really good in this episode. And it's cool that we got to talk to both of them and hear about their perspectives. Yes. Of the job. I'm so happy they were both available because they were both equally, you know, the stars of this ep. And what an ep it was. I mean, obviously... Incels we are a major John problem. <laughs> He's a king. Incels. Not good. Yeah. Yeah. Incels are bad and they got worse in the pandemic, I would say. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, at that surprise dinner that I threw with friends, someone asked, like, if I was dating anyone or anything. I go, honestly, I'm an incel, but chill. Like, <laughs> how come I get to, why am I not losing my mind out in the streets? You know what I mean? I just don't got these incels. I think because, you know, I when we did the episode, where we talked about um, the Hayden March episode or whatever, we talked about incels. The term was coined by a woman talking about herself, but oh, obviously wow. men men <laughs> took it and that. ruined it. You know, <laughs> men took it and turned it into like, yeah, Wait. we're incels because women won't give us what we want, you know? 
So hopefully, my sister told me this, but I found it online, so she wasn't lying. I mean, I cannot wait to text her and be like, how dare you tell me about this Dakota thing? But did you see, I think it was in the UK, they had a show, I, I, I looked at some a carousel on Instagram about it, where they took young ki- girls and young boys, and um, they, t- they taught the two groups how to cook and skills. They were away from all parents, and they were each put into gender-split households to see how they survived. The boys were like starving. It was mess. They couldn't cook. Like it was chaos. And all the young girls had a chore chart, cooking dinner. Driving. Like they were drawing on the <laughs> walls, but like having the time of their lives. And the men, like I, the men, the boys, I guess it was like dark, grim. Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies <laughs> in a home. And so I said a lot of the comments and it's like, they're just socialized to... Not do anything. Yeah. Because my mom had surgery and my dad was still like, can you grab me with a fork? And I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? (laughs) Get up. But he's also 85 and about to have glaucoma surgery. So it's like, (laughs) I also can't be mad at him. But it it was just like, I guess these boys, um, the house was a mess and they were all hungry and sad and just like on the floor. And the the girls were like immediately like kumbaya and having a great time and eating and cooking and cutting vegetables. And it's just, um, but a part of the show too was like, you know, we say that women aren't, good leaders and we don't let women lead and that they're emotional and wild and it's like these girls handled their business. Yeah. And the boys like were wearing, I don't know, I have to watch it. I have to watch it. Look at Yellow Jackets. Look at Yellow Jackets. Those girls are stepping it up. Someone's becoming the (laughs) Antler Queen. Someone is taking the reins. (laughs) (laughs) I also want to watch Milf Manor. Oh my God, I have. You told me about it, I think. I I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can give that my time and attention. Um, But back to what we learned. I'm so sorry. No, I mean, what did we learn from like- Sex work uh, is work. When you pay someone, like the stripper does not love you. Yeah. She, yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, she is paid to- have taken interest in you. I'm sure that like strippers have like clients and sex workers have clients they like better because they treat them nicely. And like, you know, maybe they have a little, like they have a couple little funny jokes together, but sex work is work and you have to separate the, the person. And that, that law that you can um, just go to the defense, like to the house. If you defend yourself, you can go and check out the crime scene where you committed the crime. Or like, Allegedly. What incel created that law? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking nuts. Um, uh, but I think it was a good episode. Yeah, it was a good episode. And definitely one of the more, like, that was definitely an episode where I was like, wow, they are in COVID. Like, so in Like, just the, the you know. When Carisi's like, mask up. Yeah, mask up. Mask We're going to take the train. The subway. <laughs> yeah, and then just like in court, the big plastic things. Like, I don't know. Seems yeah. so nuts, but but um, yeah. oh god, to flip out in a court scene, so cool. Yeah, <laughs> so fun. Um, they both and they both got to have that experience, kind of. Both Eva and Alex have like the she got to stand up for herself in court too, so that was fun. Um, should we move on to what would Sister Peg do? Yes. Uh, this is our weekly segment for those of you that are I don't know. What, this is your first episode you've ever listened to of the podcast, uh, where we point you to, you know, an article, 
organization, a doc, a podcast, something that gives you more info about what we talked about today on the episode. And today's is courtesy of our producer, Casey, who suggested that we look into this um, horror movie called Cam that's on Netflix. It was written by a former Cam girl named Issa Mazai. And it's on Netflix. Like I said, it's loosely based on her time as a Cam girl. And besides some of the sci-fi elements of the movie, it does accurately portray the struggles, the joys, and the horrors of working as a professional cam girl. So, but if you'd ra- if horror's not your thing and you'd rather not watch something that psychologically terrifies you, she also wrote a fascinating and funny memoir called Cam Girl that chronicles her career. Um, so we will have the links to both of those on our Instagram stories the day the episode comes out and then we save them forever in an Instagram highlight called WWSPD and WSPD2. Thank you so much. And next week's episode will be The Undiscovered Country, season 19, episode 13. Join us, watch it, listen. We're obsessed with all of you. Um, And next week, we'll have some fun gossip for you. Yes. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.